I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as zombies, organ thieves, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Hey, Josh. Welcome back to the show. We're doing it again. Another year. Six years in. Jesus. And uh, nothing like setting us up for failure by starting out the new season with our most requested movie, <laughs> right? Nobody's going to be disappointed. Yeah. So we're doing Suspiria. Wait, what? There's <laughs> no pressure on us or anything. But that must mean that this is horror musicals too. Yeah. And that I'm covering Anna and the Apocalypse. You guys are going to have to wait a bit to see what Josh picked, though, because it was kind of on the fence for a little while. <laughs> Anyways, this is episode 87, the season six premiere, and we're recording it on January the 29th, 2024. Which means it's the January episode. <laughs> that you're going to get in February. So, <laughs> to be fair, we usually have excuses for episodes being late, but uh, this was a doozy of a month. Yeah, it was. Had a had a friend in the hospital that I had to stay with, and then our city basically got entirely snowed in, and you couldn't get anywhere. Yeah, we're in the south, so five inches of snow, and it's over. It was eight where I was at. <laughs> a little further south. Anyways, current news for this beginning of the year, right? Diablo Cody says that she's not done with Jennifer's body and that she wants to make a sequel. The first one became a cult classic after it bombed in the theater, which was honestly due to poor marketing at the time. Okay. And she wants to see what could be done with it now that it's, you know, got such a huge following. Yeah. You, you hear that? You, you know, trick or treat, you know, we need that fucking sequel. Anyways, <laughs> I'd watch Jennifer's body too. <laughs> I'd watch Jennifer's body too, too. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. So Patrick Wilson, I guess Patrick Wilson, he's the head producer, but he released a teaser trailer for his lost boys musical. Oh, there's not a whole lot in it. You can hear one song being sung because somebody puts in a VHS tape that says Lost Boys 87. Oh, okay. And so you can like, hear a song playing. little sister. <laughs> the guy directing the movie is apparently like a Tony Award winning Broadway oh. director. And he, I guess he does movies too. I knew the name. I can't think of it off the top of my head. So it's going to be like Broadway quality. Huh? We'll see. This was kind of interesting. Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler are making a vampire movie and they got a $90 million budget. That's a lot of dollars. I know you don't watch a lot of comic movies. So Ryan Coogler made the Black Panther movie. Okay. And Michael B. Jordan played the main bad guy in the first one. He's a badass actor. He's Apollo Creed's son. Yeah, yeah. All the Creed movies. Okay, yeah, okay. I know who he is. And Chronicles, right? Yeah. Like, we love that movie. So they work together a lot. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they, they wanted to make a vampire movie. Well, they, they announced a secret genre flick. And then it came out, like, a month later, it was going to be a vampire movie. But they'd raised 90 mil for it. Damn. So it's just interesting because, as far as I know, that director's never made... Like a horror film, and he's, I mean, did he win an Oscar? He's at least been nominated for Academy Awards, and he's okay. like, I want to make a fucking horror movie. That's really cool, right? <laughs> yeah. This was pretty neat. You guys can look it up online, but Trick or Treat Studios released their Halloween 2024 lineup of new masks. Uh-huh. There's an anniversary version of Leatherface that looks badass. There's like mouths and random spots from the faces being stitched together. Okay. There's David from the Lost Boys. There was a new Freddy Krueger mask. Oh. Uh, Art the Clown mask. I think that's all I saw. Okay. I've been waiting for a good mass-produced Freddy Krueger mask because there's there's somebody that just sells them on Facebook that does limited runs that's like a pullover yeah. silicone, like smashes your eyeballs and shit, <laughs> um, but like really good because like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So right. I haven't bought one yet. 
It's pretty good. I mean, Trick or Treat Studios, their mask is like $80 masks. Yeah. But I feel like you get more than $80 of quality out of it, but they're not the same as getting like a $500 mask. Yeah. I mean, hell, my Myers mask that I wear every year is Trick or Treat Studios. Okay. Most people, I think, that do Michael Myers cosplay use the Trick or Treat Studios one. It's just they get somebody to modify it. Yeah. I've just never had the extra, you know, few hundred dollars laying around to get somebody to modify my mask. <laughs> Anyways, Christopher Landon, you know, the... uh I think he's the creator of it, but the writer and director of Happy Death Day and stuff. He was supposed yeah. to make Scream 7, and he, uh, you know, backed away from that with a 90-foot pole, <laughs> as he should. And uh, he's now making a werewolf movie for Lionsgate. Okay. That's Lionsgate. The wife will drag me to see it. It's Christopher Landon. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> and I like werewolf movies. We don't get enough of them. <laughs> we really don't get a whole lot of werewolf movies. We don't get a whole lot of good werewolf movies anymore. Yeah, yeah. David F. Sandberg, who everybody knows we're a fan of here on the podcast, is directing a movie adaptation of Until Dawn, the video game. Okay. So, I'll watch it. <laughs> and the last thing I put on here was that there's not going to be a Yellow Jacket Season 3 until 2025. Damn. Sorry, Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. Fuck that. <laughs> I liked the second season, but it was not up there with the first season. <laughs> And announcements, season six premiere. Woo! That's us. We have planned out most of the year with dates for things. Yeah. So as long as we can somewhat stick to a schedule, we should be covered there. And we picked some songs to try to cover for maybe Patreon or just for fun or something that are all not like theme music, like the Nightmare on Elm Street, like instrumental or Halloween instrumental, but songs that are in horror movies that are like kind of popular and everybody knows we're, yeah. we're trying to figure out ways to punk them out may or may not ever happen who knows because we're busy <laughs> motherfuckers but it'd be a fun thing to do to to kind of add on with the show yes updates and corrections i don't have any notes from the last one <laughs> i barely got it out though so there's that <laughs> hopefully i sound okay on this one and josh for that matter because i sounded weird the last two episodes using the same equipment I normally use. And we're both using that equipment now because we're recording it in person. Yay. You got anything to add to any of that before I dive into what I've we watch? I've been so fucking busy. I don't even have fucking Halloween Horror Nights rumors. I'm like oh. 13 pages behind on my thread. Yeah. Oh, all yeah. right. All right. All right. Well, I'll dive into what we watch. We'll go from there. Yay. I started The Magicians again okay. and finished it. <laughs> I watched the new Shutter movie, Destroy All Neighbors, that's okay. directed and maybe written by Alex Winter. Oh. Bill and Ted. No, no, no. I know who you're talking about. I'm trying to figure out if why we haven't watched this. Okay. It's fucking terrible. Oh, okay. Then we won't watch yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of open because I think he made that movie Freaked that he was in. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Which Freaked was like weird, but charming in a way. Yes. This tried to feel like Freaked, <laughs> but it, I don't know. I mean, you might watch it once. It's just, it's weird. And I also watched another new Shudder movie. This one's only been out a few days, but it's called Suitable Flesh. I don't know if you remember me talking about it several episodes ago. It's a H.P. Lovecraft story. Yeah. And it's made by Joe Lynch. Yeah. And it's starring Heather Graham, Barbara Crampton, and it has Judah Lewis from the Babysitter Baby movies. Suit. And he's fucking evil and crazy in it. <laughs> and uh, I liked it. It was really good. It had that same thing. You know, like anytime you watch like a good Lovecraftian cosmic horror movie and it's always just like this is kind of weird and I like it but I don't know why and I feel like I shouldn't be into it but I can't stop watching it it fully embodies that but okay. it's a high quality made movie so nice I don't think I've actually ever seen any of Joe Lynch's other movies I know you've told me about a few of them 
And I mean, did he work with Adam Green on the Hatchet movies? I know they're like best friends, but I don't even think he worked with him on that. Mainly okay. just them both being on Holliston and uh, doing the movie Crypt together. Right. And I used to listen to the movie Crypt a lot. So, I mean, I'm familiar with him. I just haven't seen a lot of his work. Point being, it's hard to do Lovecraft movies and he did it. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was I, good. Why haven't I watched this either? The, the wife's gonna be like, "Dude, you watch these? You fucking fell asleep." <laughs> well, Suitable Flash has only been out for like forty-eight hours. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. good, good, good. <laughs> I feel like a shitty fan. <laughs> you, you guys still have your Shutter subscription? Yeah. Okay. The new season of True Detective. Okay. Really good. <laughs> the first season was just amazing, 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 and it's been meh ever since then. And this one looked like it was gonna be like the first season, and okay. then I watched it. And I enjoyed the first episode, but I'm like, they are leaning so hard to make it feel like the first one. This bubble's going to pop. And no, they've steered it right away. It's interesting. The showrunner, she's a writer and director, and she wrote and directed all of these. She's made a couple of American things, but she's like a famous Spanish film director okay. and writer. And she usually does, you know, native movies native to her, her country, right? And she wrote this Alaskan crime supernatural thriller story to film which is just you know she just want to do something different yeah and hbo's like we'll make it but you have to turn it into a true detective oh okay and it works like cloverfield <laughs> there's lots of easter eggs into it linking it back to the first season already okay so they're they're trying really hard to get that audience back anyways three out of six episodes are out on hbo now it's pretty damn good all right we watched american nightmare on Hulu or Netflix? It's a documentary. Have you seen it yet? It's pretty I, new. I was going to ask if it was an if it was a documentary. Tell me about it because it seems familiar. This dude calls and says that his girlfriend got like kidnapped the day before, and they drugged him, and he was tied up, and then he's getting blamed for it, and then she shows up a few days later, and they have this crazy story that matches about a guy in like a scuba suit with blackout goggles. He put on. It sounds completely fucking made up. Okay, and the cops just keep trying to bust them the whole time for making shit up, and then this serial like kidnapper rapist gets caught that has the everything oh damn okay this is not what i thought it was and apparently there's a dateline about it and they did a podcast and they wrote a book about it and everything so it's like a popular case but this is like a full documentary that i think it was it was netflix that made it it's really okay. good though if you had not seen it yet all right i'm almost done i promise some of these are redos happy death day one and two obviously i've seen them before but i finally talked margie into watching them yeah what'd she think she loved them ah good so you know i can get her to watch horror stuff if it's fun stuff and i was like well now you gotta watch the rest of like christopher landon's movies <laughs> and you're gonna have to watch ready or not because it's kind of the same vein too i started monarch legacy of monsters on apple tv okay and you know monarch from like godzilla and stuff yeah. so i didn't really know it was about i just knew kurt russell's in it and Apple TV, as much as I hate <laughs> Apple, they've all their shows that I've watched so far are fucking great. So okay. they got like good people making shows. And I wanted to watch it. And it, it's basically, I mean, all the modern Godzilla and King Kong movies are canon because they're like attacks that have happened, right? So Monarch's a big company everybody knows about. Okay. And the reason why it's called Legacy, it's not actually about the monsters, I don't think. I've only seen the first few episodes because I got like hooked and I had shit to do. And I was like, I got to stop. <laughs> it takes place over three different decades with like the same people or the same people's relatives and okay. it jumps like back and forth. Uh, so Kurt Russell plays modern Kurt Russell and his son Wyatt plays him in the fifties. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And speaking of Wyatt Russell, I went and saw the first horror movie of the year. Okay. And saw night swim in theaters. Uh Oh, it's not good. It's uh, 
I was actually going to make a joke that I didn't even write because it was such shit, but it's Amityville <laughs> with a swimming pool. So uh, Ginger watched that last night. I, no, not last night, but night four last. And uh, I didn't watch it. She's like, it's not bad. It's not good. Right. Uh, that's kind of how I thought. <laughs> David hated it. I think uh, I didn't think it was very good. It is more of a drama. But oh. I mean, it's supernatural. There's ghosts and all sorts of shit. But it's it's a much about the family dynamic. And I mean, the actors were fine. The quiet's always good and shit. That's why I want him to do remakes of his dad's movies because he, yeah. he looks like him and he could do it. <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of meh. It had original stuff in there, but it's actually funny that I'm about to say this with the two movies we're about to cover. But it seems like any of these popular shorts that get made into films, there's just not enough there because it was a short. You know, yeah. people swimming at night and something getting them. And they hired the person that made the short to make the movie, just like David F. Sandberg. And Lights Out's okay, yeah, but it's not great. There's a rare few that the short becomes something good, right? Like Saw, yeah, Repo. Well, it's because like Saw, they just shot a scene, yeah, right. Lights Out. I mean, David F. Sandberg's really good at making like seven minute full movies, right? Yeah. And his Lights Out that he made with his wife, which is better than the actual movie, it, it had less backstory because you had to come up with a backstory, right? But it's creepy. As yeah, fuck, that's what I was going to say. It's just straight creepy. And I, I saw the Hollywood Lights Out that he made in theaters and I didn't mind it. Yeah. And it was pretty cool actually at times, but it was, it was just, you know, it's like, eh, there's only so much to work off there. Luckily he made <laughs> Annabelle Creation and knocked it off the fucking park on yeah, that one but that was great we're supposed to get some more horror from him here soon because you know james gunn basically reset the entire dc universe <laughs> would you watch i got a list sir so i'm gonna try to go fast tacoma fd what? so it's the broken lizard team okay um, and it's a it's a comedy sitcom where they're working at a fire department first season i think they're yeah they're three seasons four seasons in i don't know we had been watching it on the fucking plane flying to howling horror nights okay they just put them all on netflix so it's smart humor. It's not great production, but it's smart humor. <laughs> um, Saltburn, which everybody's creaming their jeans over. I keep um, hearing it's really good. I hadn't watched it yet. Uh, to me, it's up its own ass and huh. smarter than it thinks it is. And I'm sure anyone listening that likes it is going to be like, oh, this uncultured swine. Like, <laughs> you can like it and I don't have to like it, you know. And, and anyways, who invited them? Okay. This couple buys this house and they're having a housewarming party. And uh, this other couple shows up that they didn't invite. Right. And then, do you know what movie I'm talking about? Yeah, it keeps showing up my feed. I just hadn't watched it yet. Yeah, I when when we watched the the trailer for it, I'm like, eh. And then we started watching it. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of into this. Okay, okay. So it's uh, worth watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely worth a watch. The fucking Bob Ross documentary. Bob Ross, happy trees and happy <laughs> clouds or some shit. Anyone listening, don't buy anything. This is I'm gonna I'm getting on a soapbox. Don't buy anything <laughs> that has his name on it. The people that stole his fucking name from him and sell products licensed as his to this day, oh. his family gets nothing from that. I just always assumed it was his family. No, it's not. It's fucked up. That sucks. We got sex, drugs, rock and roll, no pedophilia, nothing crazy <laughs> like that. But like, it's, it's Bob fucking Ross. Of course not. If you love the man, watch the documentary. It'll break your fucking heart oh. if you love the man. But yeah, don't buy shit that has his name on it. Like. Like, I, I wanted the Chia Pet, and, like, the, <laughs> the money goes to these fuckers, and they're fuckers, and fuck them. You can cheat and get yourself the Halloween 2 Michael Myers Chia Pet <laughs> that you got me, because it basically looks like Bob Ross, but none of the money goes to Bob Ross. <laughs> okay. The Passenger. I don't know that one, I don't think. I don't I don't want to give up too much, but basically you got somebody who's had enough and goes on a crime spree, and this wet paper bag of a dude that's there when it's going on ends up being 
his passenger. Okay. As this thing goes on. <laughs> we watched Alone <laughs> in the Dark from like forever ago with fucking Christian, Christian Slater. Slater. It's so bad. It has almost <laughs> nothing to do with the games. Y'all don't watch it. <laughs> I remember renting it at like Blockbuster and watching it with Chris in my house. Oh, God. And I remember Christian Slater was in it. And there we go. There's my memory. Yep, like everything yep. stops. Keep, keep it that way, sir. Um, <laughs> we watched The Ward, the Carpenter flick. Yeah. Remember that, I watched it after we did something with Carpenter or something recently. And I mean, even, even with Amber Heard in there, it, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't like groundbreaking or anything. But Well, like, she's a good actress. She's just fucking crazy. Yeah, she's just a terrible person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I watched that documentary. That shit was great. <laughs> that was hilarious. I think they're both lying, but uh, I think she lied more. <laughs> right. Um, I, I just ma- think he's just probably drunk all the time and she got sick of his shit. I can yeah. see that. I made Ginger watch Falling Down. She wasn't a fan. Which one is Falling Down? Uh, what, M- Michael Douglas. Okay. Yeah, he gets the Pepsi at the beginning and he does, learns the butterfly yeah, knife yeah, and all that shit. Yeah. We're watching a man yeah. lose his fucking mind. Yeah. It's a good uh, movie. I mean, I haven't seen it since like the 90s, I don't think, but it's a good movie. <laughs> That's what I was telling her. I was like, I don't think I've seen this since I was like 11. Um, I watched it in my house one night when it like premiered on HBO or something. And I remember watching it at your old house when we were kids. <laughs> and that's like it. What do you mean you're not serving breakfast anymore? <laughs> <laughs> that is where that came from, right? Like McDonald's isn't serving breakfast and he gets pissed. Exactly. Okay. Ginger watched It's Alive from like 1972. This is really fucking old. Um, she said it's actually good and she hates 70s movies. I fell asleep. <sighs> I know I've seen it, but I can't even remember what fucking movie it is. It's, it's the it's, it's a demon baby killing people. It's a 70s flick. I swear we're almost halfway through my list. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Society of the Snow. Okay. That's the... We almost started it last night. I, I'm going to call it the Alive movie just because we <laughs> all know it from the old book and the old movie. Oh, Alive, is that what it is? Okay. From, okay. from the, the plane crash. We had just listened to a three-part series on, I'm going to fucking say it, last podcast on the left. Um, <laughs> and like coming right off of that, we're like, we're going to watch this. And it's like, there's so many things they talked about that I'm like... Why isn't this in here? Or, or how are they gonna how are they gonna tackle the poop stick? Like huh. <laughs> it doesn't come up, but it's still worth the watch. The killer, which it, it's it's an assassin movie. Yeah, I'm um, trying to think of who's in it. Tilda Swinton's in it. She's not the main character. Um, I can't remember the. It doesn't matter to me. I can't think of a movie. I haven't seen it though, so it's worth a watch. And I was joking. I'll be halfway through. I'm almost done. Thanksgiving. I, I haven't had the courage yet. You have to watch it. Is it I, good? I liked it more than the last couple of Scream movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. G- good slasher movie. Very, very funny kills. Most of the Reddit convos about it were very polarizing. I could see that. Yeah. But people like us, we appreciate it. I would, it's, okay. It has the right sprinkling of humor. Well, you know, I'm a huge slasher fan, but sometimes my tastes do like defer from the modern slasher populace. Like I liked Strangers Pray at Night. Yeah. And I know so many people are like, oh, this movie sucks. It's not a real slasher. To me, it felt more like an 80s slasher than some of the <laughs> end of the 80s slasher movies. But there's something in the barn. It, it's about elves in the barn. In North. It's, a, it's a Christmas horror flick. Okay. <sighs> it, it's worth a watch. Like, it's it's all over the place. Like, it doesn't go hard enough in any one direction. It, okay. It never really finds itself. Wonka, which put me to sleep. I watched Wonka and I didn't mind it. Granted, I took two children to go see it in the theater, but I thought it was pretty good. I didn't know it was a musical going in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't. 
I'm not shitting on it. It was just like, yeah. like it, it's just there. It was a good kids movie. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. They really liked it. Even like I thought the singing was gonna kind of throw them off. I mean, they watch musical shit, but it was it was definitely like an old school kind of singing movie. You know what I mean? Ginger was like, I don't remember there being this much singing in the original one. There's only two songs, right? And I'm like, two songs? You got I want it now. And she's like, What about the Oompa Loompas? And like, yeah, they sing all the time. And like, and you got got in a world of pure inebriation. Yeah. Um <laughs> It wasn't bad. It's weird that we're talking about this on our podcast right now, though. It is a musical, though. <laughs> it is a musical. Going to take a hard turn here. And uh -oh. Oppenheimer, lastly. Um, I want to see it. That is, since I fall asleep during movies <laughs> a lot, be well-rested because it is so it's slow. It's over three hours, right? Yeah, it's three hours long. And the way they approach it is jumping through different timelines at the same time. Ooh. And so it takes till about the middle of the movie for you to be like, okay, I've got a grasp of what's going on now. Yeah. And it does this weird thing that Ginger was actually complaining about. It just builds and builds and builds and builds. And, and you're like, it's been doing this for an hour and 20, like the music and everything, like an hour and 25 minutes. Like, how do we keep building? Where are we going? But from the history angle, from the political angle, yeah, not too nerdy. Um, which is what I wanted because yeah. I was obsessed with the atom bomb when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, right? Like those are yeah. always an adventure more than a film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's good. Uh, she, did, she wasn't so much into it, but for someone like me, that's like into that kind of shit and into the inner workings of a crazy person's mind. And I don't yeah. mean like, like nuts, crazy, like obsessive. <laughs> um, I thought it was good. Sorry guys. That's my list. <laughs> Hopefully we got a lot of new shit to talk about throughout this season because I can't think off the top of my head right now, but there's a lot of horror movies already announced to come out this year. Oh, yeah. A couple that stand out to me is James Wan's Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> and the first movie of the Strangers trilogy, that's going to be the prequel to lead up to the movie Strangers, the original one. Yep. Like, I'm super pumped about that. And there's so many more, but like, I, I don't know. Those are just, they look good. In Imaginary, have you seen previews for Imaginary? I don't know. I think I want to watch it. It's one of those <laughs> movies where it's like there's the kid and they got like the demon or ghost friend or whatever that nobody believes. Only it actually looks creepy and good. Oh, okay. So anyways, we went on for quite a bit there, guys. Sorry. And uh, I really should have probably looked at the runtime of the last musical episode because I don't remember if it was long or short because I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, man, I'm describing a movie and songs and I don't know if this made it quicker or longer. <laughs> I see a lot of pages, sir. <laughs> I always have a lot of pages. I also have like a format that I type in, though, and it makes it longer. <laughs> Here we go. Horror musicals, too. <laughs> Josh and I are both musicians, and we've always liked musicals to some extent. Yes. Even like a goofy, random musical scene in a movie that's not a musical. I can't get into hair, though. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's got to be done right. And we especially love horror musicals. They're all pretty much good even if they're bad they're good usually <laughs> i mean i remember watching cannibal the musical i still Trauma. haven't fucking watched that man we watched it at your house you're just I probably, was probably high. really hot yeah. yeah yeah it was a really long time ago <laughs> you know so we, we've always been into those and when we decided to do our first horror musical episode we had a hard time picking movies because like our list were bigger than normal <laughs> for a category and we of course did little shop of horror and rocky horror picture show yeah and it was a lot of fun. So every time we were trying to pick what's the next episode going to be about, you know, we'd always like the last year and a half, I'd say, we're like, let's do horror musicals too. Let's do horror <laughs> musicals too. And I'm like, we just did it. We got to wait. And Christmas came around and I knew the Anna, the apocalypse hate mail was going to come in. And I found a happy medium where we got to, you know, do crazy killer Santa Christmas movies and get to do Anna and the apocalypse also. So hey, I'm glad we finally get to cover it. 
and revisit this whole subgenre again, but uh, I'm scared to look at my inbox when it comes out because <laughs> there might be a lot of disappointed people. But the insane amount of emails I get around Christmas time or when we did the horror musical episode about Anna, where's Anna? Where's Anna? It's here, guys. It's finally here. <laughs> where's my British young Katie Holmes? <laughs> They're Scottish, sir. Uh, it's, 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 it's all British, man. I'm an American. <laughs> I do love this film, and I'm glad I finally got to cover it. I actually had never seen it until after we'd started the podcast. And a coworker at the time named Brandon was like, you didn't cover Anna in the Apocalypse? And I was like, what's that? And then the emails started coming <laughs> in, right? And uh, that was for Christmas. That was like when we did our first Christmas episode, I think. Yeah. Uh, like season one, he was listening to us. And um, I watched it, and I loved it. And I watch it every year for Christmas. And um <laughs> I knew automatically what movie I was going to do before it was timed right after Christmas, but that just kind of was fortuitous for me. And Josh had a few he was struggling with. He picked one. I meant struggling like he couldn't decide which one he wanted to do. Yeah, I was going to go way outside the box, but I decided not to do that to y'all yet. And I have only seen one of the movies that he had on his list, and it is what he covered. <laughs> but I guess I never actually watched it. My old roommate like loved that movie, and he would just play it constantly. And I was like, okay. I don't remember any of this, <laughs> except for the main male actor in the film. But we'll get there. And a really neat fact that I didn't find out until the end of taking my notes, both of our films were actually originally shorts. Oh, nice. And then they got turned into full-on musicals. How serendipitous. <laughs> Do you have info on your film going from short to... Yes. Okay, okay. Well, my notes say Jesse's film. I really slacked it. <laughs> I didn't rename the template, guys. It says copy of episode templates, which is what it always says until I rename it. And apparently I didn't even replace where it's supposed to say Anna and the Apocalypse. And what fucking year did this movie come out? I was going to say, what's the fucking year release on this one, sir? <laughs> this is great. It says Jesse's Film 2018 because that's how the original template for our podcast went. Yeah, I think the only right thing about that is that it's your film. <laughs> I'm looking it up. It's off by a year. It's Anna and the Apocalypse from 2017. Oh, okay. It's actually in my notes somewhere further down because of some events. But Oh. All right, cast and crew. It's directed by John McPhail. He's done some shorts. He did a horror anthology movie called Bite Size Halloween or Bit Size Halloween. I hadn't seen it yet. Okay. And Dear David, which I've heard about a lot but never seen. But he was brought in after pre-production to be the director in this film. He didn't start out as the original director. Okay. And that's because the movie was written by a guy named Ryan McHenry who got famous originally for making vines when it was a thing. Like, do you remember seeing all the memes with the guy watching Ryan Gosling movies and he'd like feed him a scoop of cereal and it always looked like he ate it or took it? No. I was, they were really popular and they are fucking hilarious. He did okay. those. And he saw High School Musical and he's like, I got to make a comedy zombie horror musical. Okay, I can see that fucking direct line. <laughs> <laughs> and, which is funny because the people who made High School Musical made Disney Zombies 1, 2, and 3, which are zombie musicals, but they came out like a couple <laughs> years after this. So, oh, okay. Yeah. But he he made a short and filmed it and, well, he got a studio to finance it. He didn't like self-finance it and they oh, released wow. it as a short and they decided to make a full-length movie out of it. Unfortunately, after pre-production, he got diagnosed with a very rare form of bone cancer Damn. and he had to step out as director because he was so sick. And he only wrote the first draft. Okay. And like the, the new director, the writers, the producers, everybody, they hung out with him all the way there to the end. But he actually passed away May 2nd of 2015 before his movie even came out. Oh, it sucks. But he told them it was like it was his first big movie and he wanted them to finish it. Like Damn. no matter what. 
he did that short. It's called Zombie Musical short you can look it up on youtube and he was a cameraman an assistant cameraman on a bunch of films um and the clapper guy on something i thought it was kind of interesting this was like his first real movie and it kind of sucks he wasn't very old either i mean he's younger much younger than us but they brought alan mcdonald in as a writer and he worked with ryan i believe like in the first draft or after the first draft but he basically completely screenified it He'd only done like a short or two before this. He hasn't done a whole lot either. Okay. Which is interesting because it is a, a good and popular movie. But they'd written a whole movie, the whole story, the outline, the, the path of the characters, what was going to happen, the beginning, the end for a zombie musical without having any songs. <laughs> like there's one song, maybe two in the short, and they're not in the movie. Okay. And they're like, okay, we got to get this music going. And then they brought in Tommy Riley, who is accredited as the other writer. And it's because he helped write the movie because his songs control the plot a little bit right yeah but he was the composer and he brought one of his friends in who i think i didn't see him having a writing credit but one of the documentaries i watched or behind the scenes it said co-writer next to him but he had a buddy come over and i think he said they like bashed out the one of the first songs in 20 minutes okay. they're like we got this <laughs> tommy riley though he actually he composed songs for that show wheel of time that's kind of yeah. new and the new Animaniac series. He does all the music for that. I haven't watched that reboot yet. It's pretty good. And I feel like there's another big one on there, but he he's like starting out as a composer and getting there. But the songs in this movie are great. My movie's much more of like a show tune style musical than oh, yeah. Josh's. Uh, it's like a, a traditional, I'd say more traditional musical. But the songs, like they tried to, watching the behind the scenes and like what they wanted the songs to be different styles for different reasons and stuff. Like I feel like they really nailed their goal. They did. My and I'll, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it here since we're talking about the songs. My only beef with the songs is almost every one of them when they start off, I can sing a popular song that it's reminding me of, and but it's from different. I mean, from like the '60s all the way up into the 2000s. Okay, but when it hits that that turn of going into the chorus, it's like full on Broadway show tune, yeah, yeah. like completely changes. But you can hear like influences. Yeah, you can definitely hear influences, but it's totally like. That's what's interesting. It's it's fully stage show, Broadway. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a proper musical. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when it the first time watching this fucking movie, and we'll get to that. I'm sorry, but since we're talking about the music and it's the musical, that's gonna happen a lot. Um, <laughs> when they're in the little cafeteria and it goes like full on High School Musical, oh, yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this movie. <laughs> I think that really adds to it. I would say it's more a musical than most of the more musicals out there, especially the horror ones, but Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, and that's really weird what you're saying that like they, they wrote basically their outline and their plan first and then the music. Cause that's usually totally the right, opposite right. for a musical. But, uh, that's the director and the two writers and the composer technically too, right? Not technically is the composer. I guess the writer part would be technically. <laughs> so I'm going to dive into the cast. A lot of them haven't been in many things or are famous and did completely different, other work. I didn't put everybody in here because there's a Thank lot God. of people. And I actually left out two main cast members, but like one of them doesn't even have a picture on IMDb. <laughs> um, so I don't, maybe he does other stuff. But anyways, Ella Hunt plays Anna, the protagonist of the film. She was in Les Mis. She was in Robot Overlords. She was on, I think it won an award, the show Dickinson that came out recently. It's like a modern retelling of Emily Dickinson. Oh, okay. She's done a shit ton of period piece films and... She's a singer with an album and like several music videos out and stuff. No oh, damn. Go figure, right? Malcolm Cumming is John. He's been in a bunch of shorts. That's it. Which he plays like the goofy sidekick character well. Yeah. And they can all sing. 
Yeah. <laughs> Next main character is Sarah Swire playing Steph. She was in The Boys. She played the young version of Mallory in all the flashbacks. That's what it was. Uh, the TV series Departure. She's in Dear David and recently Murdoch Mysteries. Oh, damn. She, I think it's in my notes further down. She's also the choreographer for the entire film. Oh, nice. Which is kind of neat. And I got some of that as I get into the, the backstory. And Ben Wiggins as Nick, who kind of rounds our cast out as both the bully and hero archetype character. The reform cool guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he stays the cool guy, man. He's got a weird <laughs> song, but it's a banger. I sing that one a lot. But uh, he got his start in the Mary Queen of Scots film. Okay. And then he was in a bunch of episodes of Pennyworth. He was in The Witcher. He was like the Adonis. Mm-hmm. He was like the infected like old witcher or whatever. Uh, Discovery of Witches. I think he was a vampire. Um, I watched that whole show. He's in Sandman, and most recently he was in the season three of You. Oh, okay. Did you watch that? I know your wife did. I, by that season, they lost me. So uh, he's a good actor, and I would say him and, and Ella Hunt, who plays Anne, are probably the current most famous ones. Paul Kay plays Arthur Savage. I had to put him in here. And his voice <laughs> and face look so familiar, and I finally figured out why, but it's not where, where I thought. He has over 150 credits, which, I mean, we've covered oh, people more, but that is a lot. I didn't put the dad on here, Tony, her dad. He had 160-something credits, but I saw that after the fact, but it Damn. was just like, I had too many people on here. Um <laughs> But he's been acting since, like, the mid to late 90s, and he was most notably in Game of Thrones, and that's what I ended up realizing I recognized him from. His voice, he kind of sounds like a cartoon character, but he wasn't that I could find. (laughs) And he was in the movie The Stranger, and he was also in Pennyworth, but he's, like, a famous British actor, so. Okay. All right, so that's my cast and crew. That's where I'm going to draw the line there. We'll be here for nine years. (laughs) So... Background info on the film. It's a Scottish-made film. Duh. Okay. (laughs) They're all Scottish. Not everybody, but most of them. Like I said, it was originally written and directed as a short by Ryan McHenry. He made it. I said all this earlier, actually. I did a really good job (laughs) of my memory. But yeah, okay, the original Zombies, the musical movie came out in 2018. So it was actually the year after this. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, yeah, he had this idea and he wanted to do it. And I thought it was funny. He's like, it's never been done before. And I'm like, except for the Disney movies. And I thought they were older than that. <laughs> but they're not the same thing. I mean, I, I definitely get Shaun of the Dead vibes, which we'll slightly get to that in a second. I was going to say, there's a whole scene that's straight up Shaun of the Dead. Kind of. But one of the things that I was thinking was Shaun of the Dead, I actually figured out was another movie. And then I saw their influences and it made sense. Oh, okay. So I'll get there in a second. Wow. I really nailed all of this without having it on notes. Cause now I have Ryan getting diagnosed with bone cancer and passing away the first draft. Uh, he had to get a new director to pick up. He wasn't there. In 20, so I covered all that. Um, yeah, that part's done. Steph was the choreographer. I already said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really neat to see on the behind the scenes video. Cause like the director and the producer were worried about her playing a main cast member and doing all the choreography. Cause the choreography came last. Okay. And like everybody they interviewed, they were talking about seeing her with her iPad and she'd have the songs playing, just like dancing anytime she wasn't filming and recording it and then teaching it. And like they, one of them, they had their cell phone recording. It was the lunchroom. Like they ate in that cafeteria. Okay. Like that's where they'd have lunch. And you had the senior talking about where they're all dancing at the table and stuff, like sitting down doing the thing. It's her writing that and doing it like beat for beat, <laughs> sitting at the table by herself. And they're like, what the fuck? And they're like, and then we see everybody doing it when we filmed it. It's amazing. <laughs> But yeah, she was also the choreographer, so I thought that was kind of neat. I don't know which came first for her in that film, but okay. movie idea and basic plot were made before the music. So look at this. I didn't need notes today. <laughs> um, Alan called his friend Roddy. That was it to help him write the music. And it all came together. Like everybody said, like the whole movie, as soon as they like started hearing a couple of songs, like this all comes together now. 
John, the director, says that the film was influenced by West Side Story, Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Breakfast Club, and the Buffy episode Once More with Feeling. <laughs> Once More with Feeling. Hey, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> there are multiple cuts of this film. The USA cut, which is what I'm covering. It's the okay. USA theatrical cut. The UK slash international cut. And the festival cut. There's a different cut that ran the festival circuit. And then there's the Blu-ray release, which is known as the director's cut. And it has an entire song and scene that was removed. Oh. That, you know, like Arthur doesn't get like evil. I mean, he's a, he's an asshole, but he doesn't get like evil till the end of the movie. Yeah. He sings a song like after talking to the dad for the first time before the zombie thing happens. And he's like a sick psychotic fuck. Oh, okay. And like they wanted to remove it and like lead up to him being crazy. But you can find the song on YouTube, obviously. It's just a deleted scene. So Nice. And if you have the Blu-ray, you already got it. These are so out of order. There's some random Easter eggs, like the evac selfie scene. One of the people's names, Ash Williams. I noticed or that. Or Ash Campbell. It's Either way, it's it's a tribute to Bruce, yeah, some I, evil dad. The cleaning lady that I think are referred to as the boss and then later realized was the cleaning lady is Mrs. Hensman. And Bill Hensman is who played Johnny in the original Night of the Living Dead. Yep. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. There was more. I just didn't notate them. Oh, that, I... I think I'll say it right here. It might be in my notes later, but fuck it. I'll skip it or repeat it. The opening scene, not the opening scene, when she goes to meet John okay. and they're singing and they meet in the cemetery dancing. Yeah. Like I kept thinking that was Shaun of the Dead. Like when he's walking to the <laughs> store and he doesn't realize the world's falling apart. Yeah. It's actually Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead opening scene without it being the mom running like fuck from her daughter trying to eat her. Yeah. Is really what it is. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> they didn't say that. I'm saying it, but I mean, it's like, it feels more like that than Shaun of the Dead when you think of it that way. Yeah. But it's got the goofy thing of she's completely oblivious to it. Yes. And his short did that as well. And I don't know if that came out before or after Shaun of the Dead either. So. Okay. Human Voice seems to be the cast and crew's favorite song every time they asked everybody. I could see that. Hollywood Ending came up quite a bit, but they wanted one song that sounded like a major pop hit song <laughs> and be like the really the show tuny song. And that was it for that one. And they're like, we want the song to be really poppy. And we want to have like, like when we write the poppy song, cause like I said, the music came almost last. We want to make sure it's a song where we're like, we have a giant crowd jumping in, singing and dancing and being absurd. Cause in the short, she's like running down the streets, listening to her AirPods and dancing and singing. Yeah. And like people randomly get up from off the sidewalk and start dancing with her and then they'll get mauled by zombies. So it's just like <laughs> random backup dancers pop up that have nothing to do with the plot or, or they're not her friends or anything. Okay. So maybe it was a throwback to that, but they wanted like a pop song that like, like high school musical where everybody jumps in singing and dancing randomly. And that was it. There we go. Steph on her iPad, writing the dances, blah, blah, blah. I killed this guys. <laughs> uh, there's the girls dressing room and the boys dressing room. There was a lot of funny shit on the backstory. Like apparently the girls went to the director because the boys kept running in the room and stealing the shit. And they're stealing shit from the set. They're doing panty raids. So the director went to the boys' room and they had stolen shit to build a giant fort in their room. And they all had Nerf guns and like fucking attacked everybody when they came in. <laughs> kind of makes me think when we played that show in St. Louis and me and Michael got back to your house first and we'd like stole all your furniture and made Fort kick ass. <laughs> and you came home in a fort. I just thought that was funny. It has nothing to do with the movie, but oh, God. they all said it was like too fun to be a job, like being on the set for that movie. <laughs> the log line or catchphrase. I don't even know what the fuck it says on IMDb, but this is the one I remember from the poster and the trailer. Shaun of the dead meets La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're going with right I'll there. I'll take it. And uh, that, that's it for my backstory. I got other shit, you know, sprinkled throughout here. Okay, we start off the film with a nice, happy, fun Christmas song. It's an actual Christmas song. I can't think of which one it is right now. Yeah. But it's real poppy playing in the background. 
and you're seeing the opening credits and like the town and stuff, and then it just stops with a stinger and it pops up says End of the Apocalypse in this crazy evil font. Just like Fetty Alvarez's like Evil Dead title card that pops up, or even the <laughs> Cabin in the Woods. Or Rise, Don't Evil Dead Rise does it over the lake and shit. Like it's done really well out of nowhere. And then it cuts to our actual opening scene with Anna's dad, Tony, driving the car with Anna and John in the back seat. And I assume they're brother and sister. The first time I saw this, it gets corrected during the conversation at some point. Same. But they're talking, and if you pay attention to the radio playing in the background, the song is interrupted by a news broadcast stating that the CDC has recategorized the new super virus that was thought to be a strain of the flu as a pandemic, and that it has now turned lethal. But right as that part happens, Anna jumps across in the front seat and changes the radio station because she wants to hear a song and not the news. Yeah. So they just missed all that. Dad asks Anna what she's doing after school today. Is she going to go to the like Christmas dance or uh, the Christmas show. I'm sorry, the Christmas show at the school. And she says she can't cause she's working and she's so busy working all the time. Her dad's like, that's all going to change when you go to uni next year. And she like, just kind of looks at him goofy, but he doesn't realize it. And then he asked John, who's just like munching on food that I don't know where it's coming from. Like constantly <laughs> he's always eating and asked him, have you heard back from the art school he applied to yet? He said, not yet. And he's like, is that normal? which i thought was kind of funny and um he's he says like no mr whatever the fuck their last name is and i'm like okay it's not her brother right and dad once again asked about the after school christmas play and that she should really be there and she said i told you i'm not going tell him john so john while munching on a pastry mumbles out yeah she's working all the time because she has to pay for that ticket and anna's like you idiot hit something. He goes, what? You said, tell him. And um, the dad says, what ticket? And she lets him know that she wants to do a bit of traveling. And she's got a train ticket to go to like, she's going to get to Australia eventually somehow. But she's got a ticket, right? <laughs> and the dad's like, how are you going to fit this in with your uni schedule? And that's when she breaks the news. I'm not going to uni. After locking up the brakes, he tells her that she's being stupid in response to her saying she's going to travel instead of go to uni for the first year. And then they arrive at school where we can see dad works as well. And that's why they're all carpooling together. Yep. And he was so worried about the, the after school program because he's going to be working in it. He's the wise janitor. I don't think he's actually the janitor, though. That's the funny thing. Because <laughs> she regularly says that's not his job. I know. Yeah. And he's like, it will be. <laughs> he kind of talks like a caricature of the emperor from star wars <laughs> vote for papa palpatine <laughs> anyways john walks <laughs> off because he knows that he's done fucked up and dad gets some more info out of anna and he's still pissed at her and he says that only if your mother could see you now and then he stops himself and she gets real mad and stomps off so we can tell mom's, mom's dad. dad yeah yeah <laughs> and uh she basically calls her dad an asshole before she walks off but not not quite so you know that's that's got them set on last time they saw each other wasn't good terms kind of thing yo gotta gotta remedy that we then cut to steph on the phone with her girlfriend and she's upset that they can't travel and do something together for christmas and she's not going to get to see her girlfriend and she doesn't get to spend time with her family because her family ran away to mexico for christmas because they want to get five thousand miles away from their weird daughter and she is the exchange student at the school and the American <laughs> of the film. They gave us one American and the choreographer, as I put here in my notes for the ninth time. And <laughs> these are done over different days, way different periods. 
The next scene has a bit of funny stuff going on here because John was obviously like a goofball in the car, like the way he's munching pastries and stuff. You're supposed to expect him to be like the comic relief. Yeah. And the camera pulls out where Steph's talking on the phone and we see him walk in the door sucking on his slurpy straw or whatever it is and he throws it in the garbage can and clearly it goes all the way in the garbage can and it's like gone out of sight and then he just as he walks about flies back out and hits the floor like they had to have had somebody in there to catch it and throw it <laughs> you know and it's like either a mistake where he was supposed to miss and it was supposed to hit the floor and then chunked it or like they just like really wanted to accentuate huh i didn't get this and then he goes to like put a present on the pile of like donation presents for sick kids and takes the whole pile out and then tries to help steph fix it and knocks that pile out and he's just a klutz the whole time in the comic relief and it's a pretty funny scene and it comes in and offers to help steph pick up the shit and take it and she goes no my car's right there and now we know they have a car for the apocalypse yeah, in right. The, in the in the staff only parking spot, right? Right. Oh, we're getting there. It's not even the staff only parking spot. It's even why he's just a dick. <laughs> but the three of them part ways, and we're now introduced to the currently assistant school headmaster, Arthur Savage, as he gets mad at things not being hung perfectly straight in the wall. He yells at a couple making out to withdraw their tongues. <laughs> And he tells Steph she has to drop her homeless article because he doesn't want that shit in the school paper. And she's like, you can't tell me what to write. And he's like, this isn't the times. I'm the assistant <laughs> principal. I knew what you want. She's like, I'm going to go to the headmaster. And he's like, I'm the headmaster next year. Do you want to deal you know, with these repercussions? And she thinks it's bullshit. Right? I'm the captain now. Yeah, I'm the captain now. He's going to be the captain soon. It's a little different. Soon. Anyways, he's just a general dick to everybody. Yes. And he confiscates her keys from her because he says, I told you if you bring your car onto school property, it becomes school property until the end of the day. <laughs> so it wouldn't even staff parking. She just drove there. Oh, what a dick. We see Anna at her locker as we are introduced to Chris, who is like the nerd of the group and wants Anna to preview his presentation for his short he has to show before class. And he said, I need you to check it out for the bell rings. And then the bell rings immediately afterwards. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I had to pee. Right. And then we hop into our first musical number of the film. They break into, well, Breakaway is the name <laughs> of the song, which is a medley between Anna, Steph, and John, where Anna sings about feeling stuck in the town and never going to be able to leave. We see Steph singing while researching the pandemic currently going on in volunteer work at the homeless shelter. And her lines in the song are saying that people need to stop playing games and start doing real important shit and to like realize that like she's a person and like serious. Yeah. And John is singing about being picked on as Nick walks by bullying him and drawing on him with a Sharpie. Didn't draw a dick. It was just a line, but still. And somewhere in the song, he sings basically about not having the balls to express his love, which we assume is to Anna. Because, Yo. duh. And the main theme here is that things are not going their way and they need to break away from their current life, right? Hey, character building. <laughs> yep. There's a break in the song where we see Chris giving his presentation and showing his cheesy short horror film to class. And the teacher says, while it's okay, you are talented as a filmmaker and you need to make something of substance before it's too late. Right? And that really <laughs> sinks in with him. I will say this is one of the catchier songs in the film and gets stuck in my head. But the song ends with Anna showing up at the school like dance or show rehearsal and her friend Lisa, who we later see as Chris's girlfriend, running up to her and hugging her and asking her what she thinks about everything. It's like Narnia threw up over Oz. I know. 
There's a girl trying to stitch Lisa's dress the entire time, and she keeps moving and fucking her up. She even takes off running later, and she's like, oh, no, and it, like, rips it. It's pretty funny. Yes. But Mr. Savage comes in saying that four more students had to step out of the play with the flu and that they all need to remember that hand sanitizer is the friend and not to kiss. <laughs> or lick toilet seats. Right. <laughs> Savage also gives Anna shit for not being in the play and says that he's waiting on her loser dad to come fix his lights when he's done cleaning the toilets. And she replies that's not his job. And he says it will be soon. Like I said earlier, <laughs> he then starts to go off on the school play cast and he has a bunch of random one-liners that are fucking hilarious right here. Anna follows him out into the hallway. As we hear the obvious sounds of a zombie moaning and groaning and shambling behind her. And she freezes and hears it. And you're waiting to see the first zombie. And she turns around and it's a girl trying to find her asthma inhaler. <laughs> And she's just wheezing and she hits it and fixes it. And then the girl gets pegged with a pastry from Nick and it's to get her to leave so he can talk to Anna alone. And Anna tells him not to be a child. And he says, yeah, but I'm a sexy child. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> he realizes he fucked it up and she looks at him like he's an idiot. He then says, hey, let me know if you want to hook up again over the break right as her dad walks up and tells him to piss off. We then cut to lunch as Chris and Lisa are making out to confirm that they're dating and John and Anna are kind of uncomfortable with the uh, PDA going on right there, right? Especially John, because he likes Anna, obviously. And Lisa says that Savage has lost his shit and even went off on some kid for dancing poorly on stage. And Anna says, yeah, but he's got a prosthetic. Lisa goes, I know, right? He also <laughs> only has one leg. And uh, we can see she's the ditz of the crew. She's great. <laughs> she is. We then see Nick as he's doing the, like, flicking the tongue through the V in his fingers at Anna from a different table. And John says to just ignore him. And Lisa says that he's a prick, even though he has a hot bod that you could just lick chocolate off. <laughs> and that no other self-respecting girl would ever sleep with him. And Anna obviously gets upset at her saying this. And Lisa says, not you, but, you know, all the other girls. Well, <laughs> not that there were lots of others, but, but please love me and just hugs her. Because, you know, she just shut the fuck up at that point. And uh, we can tell that Lisa's Anna's best friend. Well, other than John, but he's, he, hasn't, he doesn't realize he's locked in friend zone yet. And obviously, Lisa's mouth goes faster than her brain. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Steph awkwardly walks up, and you can tell that she's real uncomfortable speaking with the group. And she tells Chris that she needs him to videotape something for her tonight. He's like, you know, I love recording things. And she's like, I want to do my homeless shelter piece that Savage said I couldn't. And we're just going to sneak out and do it anyways. And Lisa's worried that he's not going to see her sing her special Santa song at the show tonight, which she's supposed to record. And somewhere in there, Steph's like, you know, you were told you need to do something real. And this is something real. So he wants to go do it. Yeah. And he tells Lisa he thinks he can do both and not to worry because his grams is going to be there to see her. And they <laughs> both look happy about that. Right. But Lisa says it's fine. And Steph awkwardly starts to thank all of them. And then you can tell she's trying to fit in and she's saying a bunch of stupid shit and is real uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, the entire Scottish cast give her a what a stupid fucking American look. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Hey, yeah. Uh, um, Let's see that asshole try and stop this one. I didn't find this out till after I took my notes and then watched the behind the scenes, but all of the awkward, weird shit she does wasn't in the scripts. That oh, was okay. the actress did it, and they're like, oh, this is fucking great. She just felt like the character would just be like really awkward and feel out of place there. Okay. So she added that herself. It's kind of neat. I love it when actors do that and it stays. Yeah. 
Steph walks off and walks past Nick, who calls her Annie Lennox, and the, his friends start laughing, and John's like, all right, I'm going to go get up and whoop his ass now. And Anna tells him to sit down and reminds him that he actually can't do anything about that to Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't want to get his ass kicked and get embarrassed in the lunchroom. We now get our second song of the film, Hollywood Ending, and in this song, John's singing about how his movie sucks and he's no McConaughey and that he's going to lose Anna because he doesn't have the balls to do anything about it. And he's not going to get his Hollywood ending. We see Nick give more dirty looks at Anna as she breaks into her verse with her not being a princess, but she deserves better than that asshole. And then this is the, we were talking about earlier, they get a full on dance number going on. Like people are like pounding stuff on the cafeteria table and dancing on the tables. And she's like jumping through the air and shit. That's a production. Yeah. And the entire school breaks into the song singing and it's pretty fucking cool. And Chris and Lisa break in with a line about how they have their, the one next to them and that they have the perfect relationship and they're going to be together forever and get their Hollywood endings. They'll have a different version right, of a Hollywood ending from different film types. Yeah. And Savage breaks in with the, there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending that they start repeating at the end. Oh, he's the Josh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, the theme is that you expect life to go one way and then you get older and realize that it doesn't actually work like the movies. (laughs) Then you get a little bit older and you're like, oh, fuck, my parents warned me and it was my fault. (laughs) (laughs) But what we can tell is going to happen to our cast throughout this film from the song is that John's going to get Anna. Anna's always going to have all of her friends to support her. And Chris and Lisa are going to be together forever, right? Some of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's something after like multiple watches, I was like, oh, if you listen to the song, like I got like the vibe of the song, what it was about. But then you realize that they basically sing the exact opposite of how everything turns out. And it's like, oh, it's even worse. (laughs) We see Anna trying to leave school at the end of the day. And she sees Steph trying to break into her own car with like a Slim Jim because she doesn't have her keys. Yeah. But she's trying to cheer Steph up and fails. And then Steph gets really upset about her parents being far away and they don't want to see their weird daughter. And she goes on some rant about moms being, you know, pieces of shit or something. And then remembers Anna's mom died and Anna gets upset and angrily walks off and bumps into a zombie shambling past her. And she says, oh, I'm sorry, sir. And keeps walking. It turns out <laughs> like, because she wasn't looking. It's pretty funny. But we cut to that night and we can see that Anna and John work at the bowling alley. What's the name of the bowling alley, sir? Oh, I, I wasn't paying attention. I missed it. Balls of thunder. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Now. That's what I call my finishing move. <laughs> oh my God. Josh is on fire with himself tonight. Uh, <laughs> just like every night. <laughs> Oh my God. Does everything himself here. Um, anyways, they work at Balls of Thunder, the bowling alley together. John tells Anna she smells like shoes because she's cleaning the shoes. And she says that Christmas is becoming her least favorite C word. And then he says, You would love Christmas if you had an awesome Christmas sweater like this and it lights up and shit. And she goes, Never mind, you're turning into my other least favorite C word. <laughs> and uh, she's smiling. So obviously, they're joking. Yes. And then we cut to the school dance, but we can see from the outside shot that there are zombies like rambling all around outside. Like there's several of them now staggering around the uh, parking lot and shit. Yes. And oh yeah, our third song of the film, which I almost didn't count because it's not our cast and crew. (laughs) I mean, it is part of the cast, but it's uh, a penguin rap. (laughs) Oh God. And they're in penguin suits and... They're rapping mother flippers. I like halibut, and you know I'll eat a hell of it or some shit like that. I just love it when they say mother flippers. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we can see that Anna's dad and Savage are working like the booth together. And Savage says four weeks of practice, and this is what I get. 
And Tony says, at least they're trying. You can tell by Savage's face that he does not agree with this. And Tony says, either way, it's real nice of you to help him out, Arthur, which he doesn't want to be called Arthur by Tony. And he's like, you can't ever trust kids. <laughs> so he just hates kids. So he probably shouldn't work at a school. He hates everyone. Yeah. Lisa then goes on stage in her gown that is now stitched together because she stopped running off, I guess, to do a dance number. And she's basically singing about fucking Santa Claus. The, not the man fucking Santa Claus, about literally <laughs> banging Santa Claus as dudes wearing only Santa hats and short shorts are dancing with canes to the song. And she obviously did all of this just to piss off Savage. And the song has harmless words and phrases in it as well as and including some of them being really clever lines like my chimney needs a good unblocking <laughs> and somehow lightening the load of a sack and stuff like that yeah it's great and it's, <laughs> it keeps cutting back to what's his nuts grounds oh, yeah yeah <laughs> well it, it first like she's singing and you can see all the guys like laughing and smiling in the audience and then you see graham's giving a thumbs up on one of the scenes you can see her dad's like oh what in the fuck i'm assuming it's her dad because there's one guy that's really upset yeah but even tony anna's dad is fucking hysterically laughing he thinks it's funny savage is pissed so Savage storms off to go yell at Lisa, but he starts hearing someone banging on one of the exterior doors in the hallway, and he starts yelling at the person to stop, and, well, they stop. So he yanks the door open and walks out into the snow, and it just cuts away really quick. So you don't know what's going to happen to him, right? Yep. We cut back to the end of the song as Lisa says, come on, Santa, give it to me. <laughs> That's the end of the song, and she gets a fucking standing ovation from the audience. This is a fucking high school. I know. Just, just I everybody know. keep that in mind. It's great. It's dirty. I'm dirty. <laughs> I'm sorry, God. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the seat next to Graham's is empty and it says reserved. That's where Chris was supposed to be. Instead, he was doing his humanitarian video with what's her face? We hope. We don't know what happened yet. There's zombies everywhere, Josh. No, no, they're fine. They're fine, man. <laughs> we cut to Savage, who is alive, but concerned about there being nothing outside. And he slams the door <laughs> and there's like blood and gore all over the door that he couldn't see because it was open, right? <laughs> yeah. And CGI snow. Yeah. <laughs> there is a, a heavy hand of CGI in this film at certain parts. There's a lot of practical, though, with digital touch-up, though. Uh, There's quite a few popped heads that was all practical. Uh, but yeah, he's oblivious to what's going on. Savage, that is. We see Anna and John clearing out the bowling alley of drunks as one of them passes out through the door, and she's counting them by naming Santa's reindeer. Um <laughs> But she runs out of names like she forgets them, and, and they close the door, and John's like, Firebolt, that's one of them, right? He's like, oh, wait, no, that's Harry Potter's broom. And she's like, we can't be friends anymore because you've hit peak sadness. Right? <laughs> and then, yeah, I did. I wrote their boss, I guess because she tells them what to do. The yeah. cleaning lady, Mrs. Hensman, points at shoes that are on the floor that they hadn't cleaned up yet, and Anna grabs a broom and does like a, a slapstick, you know, hockey puck shot, and it flies and goes perfectly into the can. Yeah. And then John's like, watch this, covers his eyes and tries to throw a shoe as Anna tries to stop him. And he pegs Mrs. Hensman in the head, knocking her out. Yep. And I didn't realize it until just now, but that just kind of shows her already being like quick and athletic and. Yeah, it just occurred to me, like, she do that already, right? We then cut to them playing in the snow and making snow angels, and John's like, I probably lost my job. And 
Anna says that her and her dad used to run out every time it started to snow and make snow angels, and their mom would judge them and see who made a better snow angel, and he quit doing it when she died. She wants to know if her dad's right about everything he said, about her being stupid, she needs to go to uni, and John says, nah, you're eventually going to go to uni, and you know it, and I'll come visit you on your trip beforehand anyways, and we'll hike together through the outback. And she's like, it's bigger than you think. And you hike. And she's picking on him. And uh, John's like, don't worry. I'll get fit. I'll even start jogging to school in the morning. Uh Right? Well, he does, though. That's why she walks the next day. And they meet halfway. It was intentional. Because when he's doing the song in a minute, he gets out tying his sneakers. He's ready to run. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. And what he did was a lot more athletic or a lot more aerobic (laughs) than just running anyways. He dances, man. Uh, they once again try to remember the reindeer names and Anna names some of the seven dwarfs and he corrects her and he's like, don't forget Oliver. And she's like, Oliver. And he's like, you know, Oliver, the red nose reindeer. And then he goes, Oliver was a dick. <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny. It's mostly funny. Cause I don't know if he actually thought the reindeer's name was Oliver. If he was making a joke. You can go either way with that one. We get a horror stinger as Anne wakes up in her bed late for school, and she grabs all of her shit to head off quickly, but then she runs back in her room to open the advent calendar to pull out a piece of chocolate and to show us that it's the 23rd of December. Yup. And I, I don't, it's not in my notes. It doesn't look like, oh, maybe it is. Okay. Throughout the scene, you can hear zombies and see them out her window, yeah. like shambling around, right? Um, but she walks past her dad's bedroom, and, like, the bed is completely neatly made. Like, he's not there, but she doesn't notice it. She's just, like, going to brush her teeth and go meet John, oblivious to everything going on around her. We see Anna and John each leave their own house to head to school, and they're going to meet halfway, we figure out, in a cemetery. And they break into what is my favorite song and scene of the film, I think, (laughs) which has zombies mauling people all over town as they're completely oblivious to it because they have earbuds in, which is the short movie. This is like the whole almost the the short movie is not actually the movie we have. It's just a girl that goes to school. Yeah. Killing zombies. But she's singing a dance and it doesn't know what's going on. Right. Okay. But obviously this was from that. And it really is a mix of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead opening scene and Sean walking to the store and Sean of the Dead. But with song. But the song's called Turning My Life Around, and it's about how they both figured out what they need to do with their lives now, and they're happier because they have this brand new day and know what to do, and they're really going to turn their life around. There's a line in here about how everyone's dying as people are getting mauled all around them, and it's kind of comical, right? Yes. Because <laughs> they have no clue what's going on. But the climax of this song and dance number is when they finally meet halfway in the cemetery, and they start singing to each other, and a guitar solo kicks in, and they're like skipping and hopping and jumping in the air and pointing at each other goofy. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's the scene I always show people when I'm like, you got to watch this movie, right? Okay. Because it's just like so out there. They're just fucking getting closer and closer with the song as they're coming to the outro until a zombie in a snowman suit attacks. Yeah. The attack begins with Anna approaching the snowman that just collapsed on the ground because it just kind of goes and falls over and we can see it's a zombie, but they don't. And she runs up and she goes, I can help. I'm a first responder. <laughs> and then he just sets up and snarls at her really quick. And she's like, oh, and she hits him with her purse. And... <laughs> And they can see his face now and see that he's fucked up, and they run off into the playground in the background. 
John keeps saying, mate, stay back, mate. Hey, mate. Yeah. Hey, mate. And Anna said, say mate one more time. It's definitely working. And then she chunks her giant ass purse and nails them with it, staggering them and knocking them back. And she's like, I got an idea, John. Get behind me. And she grabs the seesaw and she's like positioning it. And she's like looking all serious like she's concentrating. And the zombie walks up and she just slams the seesaw into his chin, knocking his head off, right? Yup. And blood fucking sprays everywhere. And then we get this high-pitched little girl scream from John. <laughs> Expected. <laughs> and then we cut to them sitting down talking about how this shit isn't normal. And like they, he points over one of the times he says it to the head that still's like rah, rah, and snapping because yeah. they didn't kill the brain. They just decapitated it. And John keeps calling them zombies. And Anna's like, no, zombies aren't real, right? And I think that's funny <laughs> points. And they don't have cell service. And then they both realize they didn't see their parents this morning who were at the dance, okay? Dun, dun, dun. And they decide they need to head into town to find their parents. Maybe it won't be so bad across town. It's real bad in town. Everything's on fire. There's looting. People running around screaming. It's like Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. John's munching on a banana while they stand in front of a building. that's just a blaze. Like, what the fuck's going on here? And uh, Anna's looking at him like, are you seriously fucking eating again right now? And he's just shoving it in there. And he's like, our parents will know what to do. Uh-huh. We then cut to the parents panicking in the school and snagging all of the water and snacks that they're probably supposed to live off of for a little while. And Savage is like, don't worry, the government will come and save us. <laughs> and then Grams tells Lisa that there's no fixing things once they get this bad, and she just hopes that Chris is okay. And Lisa comforts her by saying, Chris has seen every horror movie ever made. He's definitely going to know what to do. <laughs> so we cut to Steph and Chris hiding behind the bowling alley counter, and Steph has a fire extinguisher for a weapon. That's a pretty decent weapon to beat somebody with. Chris, on the other hand, has the keyboard from the uh, kiosk. <laughs> And they hear the door rattling and stuff like that. And he's like, I want to see what it is. I want to see what it is. And Steph's like, no, no. And eventually just stands up and turns around. And it's Anna and John walking in. And yeah. she's like, you're supposed to lock the door. And he goes, Mrs. Hensman was supposed to lock the door. Although she might have been concussed last night. <laughs> <laughs> but Steph is the smart, responsible one. And even though Chris is supposed to be the horror movie expert. And she's like, hold on. Are you bit? Right? Like she's yep. trying to figure out what's going on. They're not, though. They convince him. Chris is like, holy shit, zombies, right? And John's like, oh, yeah, yeah it is zombies. Like, he's so excited. <laughs> and he then tells Chris to ignore Anna because she's in Egypt now. And he's like, huh? And he goes, you know, she's in denial. <laughs> His jokes are great. Steph and Chris were at the homeless shelter, though, the night before when all hell broke loose. And they came to the alley to find John and Anna in for safety because they knew that they'd be there, right? Yeah. Steph does have a bit of Wi-Fi, and she finds, like, some sort of news broadcast that says everyone's supposed to head to the school. It's a shelter, and the Army's going to come in and get them all and escort them out. And she finds, like, this selfie evac thing where it's people taking selfies with the zombies, like, while they're on the <laughs> other side of fences and shit. And she's like, yes. humanity's fucked. Oh, and Chris interrupts because Bieber's a zombie now, right? Like, there's, like, a Twitter or something saying who all got turned to a zombie. God, it's great. That part is exactly how it would go down. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so terrible. I don't remember exactly what Steph says here, but it's like, we're all fucked and don't deserve to live is basically what she says. Oh, yeah. She's the realist. And then we cut to, it's supposed to obviously be a time later, and we see that the boys are having goofy conversations about what celebrities might be zombies, and Robert Downey Jr.'s got a billion dollars, <laughs> so he can't be a zombie. He's just got babes in a hot tub with him. <laughs> he's like, what if one of the babes was scratched? Like, they're just having a nerd conversation. Yes. While the girls are in the girls' bathroom discussing 
what cities might still be standing. Did Paris fall? You know, real shit. <laughs> and then they're jumped by, it's funny, my notes say the boss, who's actually the cleaning lady, <laughs> Mrs. Hensman, I know her name now. She was sitting in the shitter, basically, and she's a zombie. And she comes out attacking, and they, like, tussle back and forth, and Steph ends up ramming her into the bathroom, basically giving her a swirly and smashing her head over and over again with a toilet lid until her head pops and blood goes everywhere. Yay! She went ham with that shit. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right as Anna and Steph think they have a brief respite, the drunk dudes from the night before come busting through the, I'm not sure if it's like a sheetrock wall or a door. I'm not sure. But it's the drunk guys from the night before break through the wall, and our crew scatters. Chris tries to run across the bowling lane floors in his normal shoes, but he's like having to like ski really slowly <laughs> so he doesn't slip. As John yells what to do, and Chris says you got to destroy the brain just like the movies. So John grabs two bowling balls and slams them, and it goes into like slow-mo on each side of this guy's head, this bald zombie, and his head fucking pops and blood gushes out everywhere. And our current hero, John pukes everywhere yeah saw the behind the scenes of it he's like is this the head is this my bowling ball head he's like so excited and like i'm assuming they did it in one take because that shit gushed just like that and when he's done he's like holy shit (laughs) it rained everywhere you know it was great but we see steph ending one off at the counter she's on one side of the counter and the zombie's on the other and it's swatting at her and then eventually both of its hands grab each of her boobs (laughs) yeah she gets pissed knocks the shit out of it and then grabs a spatula and rams it through its mouth and what we think into the brain, knocking it over, right? Or we think it's dead at the time. Dead, dead. During all of this, John and Anna are trying to take one out, and they're holding it back with the table, and John says, let go on three. And Anna says, okay. And then he goes, three. And she lets go as he's trying to sling the table around, and the zombie goes off flying into this uh, inflatable swimming pool full of balls. It's like a ball pit. And that's what, I didn't say it earlier, John and Chris were hanging out in when they were talking about, like, Robert Downey Jr. being a zombie or not. And he's like, I told you on three. And she goes, and you said three. Think about your words for you saying, he's like, can you make your wing for you saying, like, mocking her right as he says that the zombie just like, oh, like the fucking, you know, undertaker bust out of the balls, right? In the pool, pool, ball pit, whatever. And this whole time we see Chris tiptoeing backwards from lane to lane, stepping over the gutter. It's funny. Like, it just keeps cutting to him doing it until he makes it to the wall and he runs out of room. And. He picks up a bowling pin, slams it into the zombie's head, and the zombie hunches over. And then while it's been over in pain, he's like, do you understand me? Do you know what I'm saying? Are you trying to communicate with it? Yeah. And it growls up at him like it's going to get him. And then a bowling ball comes flying and hits. It knocks Chris back somehow, but it knocks the zombie over. The zombie slides into the pins, knocking them all over. And the pin catcher dragger thing comes down and cuts the head off or smushes the head, right? Yeah. And then we see Steph dance in the background. It's like the Beavis and Butthead dance. And she's like, strike. (laughs) So she took one out that way. So she's got two down now. And the best part is it cuts closer to her dancing. And we see the head roll up the ball return. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess it decapitated him. We then see Anna and John finally knock their zombie over as John rams a mop handle into its ear, into the brain, killing it. And he looks at Anna and they smirk like, well, shit, that works. And then we cut to Steph as the spatula zombie stands up behind her. We think it's going to get her. And then Chris cracks it over the head with the bowling pin, saving her. He then says, this shit ain't fun anymore. And Steph agrees, right? Like he thought it was cool at first, but after killing about five of them, he's done with this movie. Yeah, I'd be tired. It looks exhausting. <laughs> Somewhere in here, we cut to the school, and we can see that Graham's in pain and desperately needs her meds, and Lisa's trying to take care of her. 
and she goes to Savage for help, and he says that society's on the edge of collapse, and they have to prioritize who are the survivors. <laughs> and then the power flickers, and we start hearing bombs go off outside. We then cut to our crew at the bowling alley as there's lots of explosions going off and flashes, and it's kind of like fireworks, and John's, like, standing right at the door just watching all of it flashing on him. Yeah. And John's like, I'm sure it's fine. They probably just needed to blow stuff up. <laughs> and Anna lets him know that all the bombs going off are not fine. We then cut to Anna's dad, Tony, trying to get out of the school to find Anna, but he's locked in at all the doors, and he starts to cry. We go back to the bowling alley where John watches the explosions again, and Chris breaks into a song. Steph joins in, and then Anna and John break in with the backup, and they're basically singing about technology and life being so digital now and how they need a real human voice. And this honestly is probably like, it's not as catchy and fun as the other songs, but it's probably like the best song. Yeah, go listen to Thrice's Digital C. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Which one was first? Thrice's Digital okay, C. Okay, that's, okay. that's from like 20 years ago. Okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's about how you need real people and society to all come together. It's a good song, though. We cut to Lisa at the school. She pops in singing while trying to take care of Graham. But her verse is about how the walls are closing in on her and she's trapped and she needs out. And then we see Anna's dad, Tony, helping with Graham's as well as he starts singing in. And they all break into the we need a human voice, like chorus or outro or whatever. And cutting through the static, yada, yada. It's a good song. I don't I don't mean to yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but it's hard to explain the song, but it fits right there. Yeah. Tony gets a solo in the song about needing to talk to Anna. And he's looking at pictures of her on his phone while crying. Good thing he's going to make it. Right, Jesse? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the next morning, we cut to our crew talking about when the Army's going to come in and save all of them. And Chris is like, they're not. And it's because he's looking out the window. And there's lots of zombie Army guys walking around. Yeah, because they're like right next to an army base. Yeah, yeah. So the army didn't make it. They realize they're fucked and that they need to get to the school on their own to find their parents. They don't know how they're going to get there. And then Chris says he has a brilliant idea to get there safely. No. <laughs> so we then cut to them walking through the zombie hordes with the inflatable pool over them, right? Uh, the one that was used as a ball pit earlier. And Steph says that this is a stupid idea and they're all going to die. <laughs> I identify with Steph. I know, I know. <laughs> they walk into something and start hearing groaning. And John asks Chris if it's a horde out there. And he peeks out and looks. And then he sticks his head back in and he goes, I don't know how many is a horde. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's a bunch of old people. And then this old lady sits on the pool on top of Steph's head and starts to take a piss. Oh, fine. It's plastic. It's warm plastic. I love how there's so much of this movie that just seems so lighthearted right, and it's right. like so approachable, but then some of it's so dirty and so raunchy. Like, yeah, that's what I love about this movie. And it's also like so out there that they're doing the pool idea, but you could think like if it happened and they started pissing, we'd have the same conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's warm piss. <laughs> exactly. Nothing human humanizes a character like warm <laughs> piss. <laughs> and actually, Chris might not be looking out. I think he's using his phone. Yes. To peek under it, right? Because this is where Anna makes a mistake. And she decides to lift up the pool and peek out from under it. And there happens to be like a crawler zombie on the ground. And it sees her and starts to crawl to them really fast. They're fucked. But wait, no. They hear a lot of beating sounds as someone's massacring the zombies around them. <laughs> Nick then knocks the pool over with uh, like a lead pipe he has with his group of armed cronies and says, Hey, ladies, you need someone with muscle to come and save you? Oh, hey, John. <laughs> it's, it's really well done Steph says she's surprised to see him out there and figured his army dad would have scooped him up and ran him off to save him and then he gets really pissed and says don't you ever mention my dad again and threatens her with his pipe 
Nick then says to show some fucking respect, and Steph replies with, says the guy who just murdered a lot of grandparents. <laughs> Steph then realizes that she needs to get Chris to start recording everything to document it for history, right? For posterity. For posterity. <laughs> They see that Nick's crew's been looting, which nobody is surprised by this. No. And Anna walks up to Nick to ask how his dad is doing, like, in a personal way, right? Like, yeah. while his friends aren't around, he doesn't have to be as tough. And he says that he ran to the base for work when the attack happened. And she says, I'm sorry, because she knows the base got overrun. Some zombies start to walk up, and John panics and runs under the pool again. <laughs> <laughs> as Nick and his crew get pumped, and Steph asks, are they actually excited about this to Anna? And she responds with, they're idiots. So, yeah. <laughs> Nick then breaks into his song, Soldier at War, which I sing part of all the time. <laughs> and I sing it loud. I love this one. Uh, the song goes back and forth between being my favorite song and then also being really weird because how he does like the high pitch part that's supposed to be like yeah. a joke, I think, in the chorus. Uh, but the whole fucking scene's awesome. Nick sings it fine. It just has weird parts that's not even his singing voice. It's like intended. I just don't like how they wrote it that way. But anyways, it's a montage of him and his crew murking all these zombies and him singing about how he was not great at a lot of shit, but when it comes to killing zombies, he's at the top of his class. That's the line. <laughs> well, there's an even better part to it in a minute. But um, basically, he's in his element now, and he was meant to be a soldier at war and fuck up zombies. His crew takes out a lot Lots of zombies here, even with watermelons as a weapon. The bullies do manage to massacre the entire horde of zombies that charge them, and the song ends with this crew like doing the Breakfast Club fist pump up in the air together. Yes. Oh, Breakfast Club's influence. I, I just thought about that anyways yeah. Anna and her crew head out and nick says that his lads need to hurry up because these girls are going to need real men to protect them and anna <laughs> says to let her know when he finds some <laughs> and one of nick's cronies says i guess only the bitches survived and then nick gets really pissed and starts going off on his friend like he's going to beat the fuck out of him with the pipe and tells him he just needs to shut the fuck up we have this weird love triangle thing going on here. And I say weird because John's obviously just madly in love with Anna and probably has been his entire life. Right. He's smitten. And to Anna, that's her best friend in the world. I think more than Lisa. And then Nick had sex with her and he's a bully and an asshole, but he seems to actually really care about her too. And he yeah. acts different when his friends aren't around too. True. Right. And Anna somewhere in here is like, it's just sex, right? Like she just, it was just a fling to her. So like, she's like, one of them's her friend and she doesn't give a shit about the other guy, but they're like both in love with her. Yeah. I like that. It, it just lets you know that she's not the weak, fair sex. Right. In, right, right. In this film. Yeah. And even like the bully that's the tough ass killing all the zombies is like, I'm just in love. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we cut to the school of Savage is telling all of the adults about his 12 step plan. <laughs> And Tony tells them the army's not coming, and the parents start to go off on Savage and say, fuck you, we're heading out to get our kids. Savage starts to whine about how he's in charge now because he's now the new headmaster, and they don't give a shit about what he's saying. He then says, but I'm in charge, and he looks really <laughs> evil when he says it. Basically, fascism is kicking in, and he's taking over. Yes. Somewhere in here, he yells at Tony and says, don't patronize me. I don't need that from a fucking janitor. <laughs> She's not the janitor. <laughs> but we can see that his cheese has really slid off his cracker at this point, as Josh would put it. Yes. This is what happens to weak blowhards when they're actually put in a traumatic situation. Yep, yep. Once again, like when you see interviews with him, for one, that's not his actual speaking voice. He has like a proper 
like real British speaking voice when he talks. And you can tell he's probably like one of the nicest dudes ever. <laughs> but we cut to Anna and John as they take turns pushing each other in a shopping cart while having a heart to heart. And it's like a few steps and they're like, my turn. You know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. And John's talking about how this is the end now and that at least now she can't leave town because things have changed. Right. Uh oh. He's getting a little clingy. Well, no, I think he's about to tell her. Like, he's finally got the balls to tell her. And then she gives him the worst news ever before he can tell her and says, You are my absolute best friend in the world. <whistles> yeah. Friend zone. <laughs> they then swap seats in the card, and Anna says that they'll be fine because she's going to go traveling and he's going to go to art school and he's. Really doubtful, but she's hopeful. And we can see that Steph and Chris are walking around, like, documenting everything, right? Our main quartet walk up to the hardware store where we can see Nick and his crew saying, hey, we got a shortcut. It's just like a dark void into a store through <laughs> yes. the doorway. It's like they had to just put, like, a black wall in there or something. It's so good. And Steph's like, hell yeah, walking in a certain death's a great idea. And Nick basically calls them all pussies and heads in with his team. They basically, you could see they quickly come to an understanding that there is safety in numbers and they are the ones running around massacring all the zombies with watermelons. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they should follow them. And Chris is leading because he's like using his cell phone light and he's documenting. But it's like, why are you having like the nerdy guy without a weapon like in the front? <laughs> um, and it's like a, the Christmas tree store, the Christmas tree section yeah. of the hardware store, right? And they very carefully walk through the store to like a really creepy score until they're startled by something. And it's uh, animated Christmas decoration, right? Or uh, animatronic. I'm sorry. Christmas yeah. decoration. They start to laugh and then they get attacked by a zombie horde and scatter. That escalated quickly. Oh, yeah. Anna grabs a candy cane decoration that has a really sharp point on the end, but it's kind of like stake in your yard by your driveway. Yeah. Except for gigantic. And that's like. I think she has it on the poster and the cover, but that's like her yeah. weapon for the rest of this movie. Nick gets a baseball bat. They run into each other and almost hit each other <laughs> like on purpose. Cause they're like, Oh shit, it's a zombie. <laughs> and turn around and find Nick's entire crew is dead on the ground and stand up as zombies. Like they insta died and turned. <laughs> Anna's panicking for John. Cause she doesn't know where he's at. And then she finds him. And then we see Chris start to get swarmed by a horde of zombies. And then he drops his phone on the ground and turns around and goes back for it. And he's about to die, except for Steph drop kicks a zombie in the fucking head and saves his life. She's kind of a badass in this movie. And she's like, Jesus Christ. So she kicks it too. They make it to safety. And Anna says that she's sorry about Nick's friends all dying. And he's like, well, they should have kept up. But you can tell he's just like bullshit. He's trying to look tough, right? Yeah. Steph tells Chris that it was just a piece of plastic and glass. It was really fucking dumb that he went back for that. And he says that Lisa and Grams are on his phone and they're both probably dead. So that's all he has of them. He wants to keep it. Yep. Him and Steph get into it and John tries to comfort everybody. And Nick says, everyone's ready to go. Or does John need to change his tampon first? And John <laughs> looks at Anna and says, I can see why you find him so charming. <laughs> However, thank God, John finally remembered all of the names of Santa's reindeer. And he starts naming them all off, and he gets them. And she starts to applaud him as they walk out the front door of the building in a safety, and he slings his arms out like he's about to take a bow right into a zombie that grabs it and bites his hand. Yup. It's actually pretty sad when it happens. It is. Not as sad as that sweater. <laughs> Are you talking later? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But he's really upset, and Anna's like, let's get out of here. Come follow me. And she's, like, pushing zombies off, trying to grab them. 
And he tries to run with her for a second, but then she gets knocked over by like a swarm of zombies. And then John just jumps in the middle in front of her and takes all the hits so she can run off. And she tries to go in to get John, and Nick grabs her and holds her back and says, he's gone, run, right? So John... You know, Nick's probably won't ever say a bad thing about him again. Oh, he will. I don't think he will because he just watched him jump in and sacrifice himself to save him. I don't know, or to man. save her. Yes, but once he's like three whiskeys in. Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> and Steph's like somewhere in the background here and she's like, Anna, your dad needs you. Let's go get him. Right. Like that's how she like snaps her out of the, I got to go in and even though like I just saw one of John's intestines fly by yeah. kind of things. Right. Hey, but your dad's still alive. Right, right. Maybe they don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> she then angrily pulls up her uh, candy cane off the ground. And yeah, John's getting eaten in the background the entire time. And <laughs> she massacres every zombie in their way as they walk to the parking lot. She's pissed now. It's kind of cool how she gets mad. In the short movie, I don't even know if her name's Anna in the short movie, but in the short movie, it's basically her just running around and people getting murdered behind her. I think she gets kidnapped by somebody that's trying to feed her to the sun and stuff like that. It's like 10 minutes long. But. At the end, she makes it to the school, and I don't remember what exactly happens, but she ends up picking, like, a broom up and, like, doing her hair in her ponytail and just walks in the hallway and, like, massacres a bunch of them. So, okay. like, they took things, but it's not the same movie. Yeah. But this is leading up to that. I'm going to call the third act now. Woohoo! They make it to the school, and it's now Christmas night. Savage is sitting in the front at the desk eating what he calls his Christmas dinner. And he says, I'm sure you're all excited to see your parents. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because they're like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, I'm having my Christmas dinner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like that. He's 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 lost it. <laughs> he lets us know right then he has lost it. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, he lets the kids know that they're lucky because their parents almost left to go find them all. He then tricks them into the cafeteria, which is now full of zombies, parent zombies, right? That is a parent. (laughs) It's a lot. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) So he must have let, like, I I think when he's like, I'm in charge, sitting down on like a bucket, he's right by a door and it's like banging, like there's a zombie. So I think he just lets the zombie in a massacre everybody, right? While he sneaks out another door because he's that kind of fucker that needs to be killed by his balls being removed slowly. But, uh, they realize Savage has trapped them in there with a bunch of zombies in the cafeteria. And he like shuts the gate, like the metal drop down gate, like stores have and shit. And I guess they lock off the cafeteria that way so nobody can go in and shoplift. Yeah, the Memphis window. <laughs> yeah. And he's talking to them through it. And he blows a whistle to get the zombies' attention on the kids. And they have to hold them off while he gets away. Savage then breaks into his own maniacal song about how nothing's going to stop him now. And he's in charge, and he's going to kill all these little shits. Like, that's actually a line in the song. Yes. He knew his day would come. My favorite line of his in the song is how he's been calling them zombies for years, and now they can all fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, he fucks off, and our crew fights their way through the horde of zombies and get over the gate thing. Like I think they, like, hopped over the concession stand and and got out. Chris and Steph head to get Steph's car keys from Savage's office as Nick and Anna go to find her dad. Chris apologizes to Steph about talking bad about her parents earlier, and she says it's okay and apologizes for being angry at all of them all the time. <laughs> and Chris lets her know that she has all of them now as friends and family, right? Oh. He then hears Lisa's song playing, like the one she had been rehearsing and did at the uh, play that he missed. And he heads down the hallway just in time to find a storeroom where he opens the door and all we can see is Lisa's back as she's sitting on the floor watching her phone. And we don't know if she's a zombie or not. And then she turns around and it's Lisa and she hugs Chris. However, we can see that she was setting with Grams the whole time who's not moving on the ground, and she was crying. Yep. 
And we had seen there's intercut shots of her like with Grams through all this yeah. and like with her laying there and shit. Like you know what's coming and it's and it's well, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we covered that a little bit when we talked about uh her going to Savage and he's talking about you gotta prioritize the survivors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Lisa lets them know that Savage opened the doors and let all the zombies in, but she managed to get Grams away and save her, but her heart gave out and she's just been watching over her dead body for Chris the whole time. It's fucked. <laughs> Chris says it's okay because she's not one of them at least. And then we see Steph break in into tears over the whole thing in the background, right? Now she's had enough. Right. We cut to Anna and Nick as Nick says they make a good team. And Anna says that they've never been a team. And he tells her that he did not tell anyone about that night at his house. One of the lads must have done it. And she's shocked that he thinks that that's why she's mad at him this whole time about (laughs) telling people they had sex. She's mad because after they had sex, they shared real moments and feelings and talked about how rough they each had it with their dads and how hard their dads were on them. And then after that day, he acted like it never fucking happened and was just a dick about it, right? No. She's like, I thought we had a moment and you fucked it up. And he gets pissed, obviously, and says, don't take your fuck buddy dying out on me. (laughs) And she then goes off on him, defending John. I put Josh. (laughs) John and asks, what did he ever do for someone else? And he says, well, I killed my dad for him. And then then she's like, what? And we find out that he was with his dad and his dad got bit and handed him a bat and ordered his son to take him out, to bash his head in and cave his skull in so he would die. And his dad told him that he needed to be a man and do the right thing for once. For once. Yeah. Real nice pep talk, dad. He then says, it's enough of this bitching. And then a horde comes. Nick says, oh shit, run. I'll hold him off. And she stands with him with her cane and says, we do this together. He says she's a real hard one, and then he knocks her over, like, down a hallway and starts to rush the zombies and tells her to run and go find her dad. So he just, like, dives into the zombies swinging. I'm like John now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been diving into zombies this whole time. Yes, he, he is. <laughs> he starts to sing his song, but it's not like the movie breaks into a musical number. It's like the actor's, like, swinging the bat around, singing about he's a soldier of war kicking some ass. Yeah. So it's like like if we were singing an actual song and not, like, a musical number in the movie. <laughs> So if we so if we're out like busting zombies and I'm like always look on the bright side <laughs> exactly <of life."> yeah. <laughs> but Anna runs off while he's just swinging into him taking him out. We cut to Steph, Lisa, and Chris on their way to Savage's office to get the keys, and they come up on the teachers' lounge, which has a horde of zombies in it. Steph has Chris and Lisa stay back as she crawls on the floor under the tables because they're all looking up at something. They don't notice her because they're completely enchanted by all the tinsel <laughs> flickering light. They're just standing there looking at the tinsel up on the ceiling. They love it. No, I think Dateline was on the projector. <laughs> Steph starts to go through the confiscation box for her keys because she made it into the office safely while Chris and Lisa stand in the hallway. <laughs> Sorry, I just and, remembered the scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she keeps pulling things out and some of it she just chunks because it's stupid and some of it she'll like, hmm, and keep it like a Bowie knife, right? Then she pulls out a bottle of vodka. She decides she's definitely going to need that. Shoves that one in her bag. And then she finds a vibrator that's going off and she's like, and just chunks it. (laughs) She finally finds her keys and heads out to the lounge. She can see that the zombies have started to notice Chris and Lisa. So they distracted them with tinsel. Like, like, hey, like shaking it around (laughs) until they could sneak behind the TV. And Chris plugs his phone in really quick and he's playing random videos of them out when they're all still alive yeah. on this adventure, right? Where he's documenting everything. Look at the homeless. <laughs> well, I mean, the homeless is the videos like John and Anna <laughs> yeah. and Steph and all them and Nick. 
The zombies like it, though. They really like his film. He made something compelling because the zombies are watching it. <laughs> and Steph tells them to come to her, and they start to crawl on the ground, and they're safe until his phone unplugs, and the either the battery dies or the video stops, right? And the zombies notice them crawling, and Steph goes ham on the ones near her, but Lisa gets bit, and then Chris tries to save Lisa, and then he gets bit. Yup. They rush through the zombies, pushing them out of the way, get to the TV and plug in the charger or the HDMI cable or whatever the fuck it is to make the movie start playing. So the zombies will turn around and get distracted and they tell Steph to get out of there. They embrace with each other and kiss because they know their shit's done. And Steph waves goodbye as she's crying and heads out. So they sacrifice themselves because I mean, I guess it's not really sacrifice. You know, you're going to turn into a zombie. Yeah. Right. But like, they're like, mm, fuck this. Together forever. Oh, yeah. We cut to a blood-covered Anna, so we know. I mean, she had blood on her, but like now she's it's everywhere. So yeah. she massacred zombies on on the way to the scene that we're seeing right now, or maybe just one really fat one. <laughs> but she takes out a zombie that's blocking her way into the theater and walks in, and she can see that her dad is tied up to a chair on the stage, and there's a horde of zombies like at the floor of the stage, reaching for him. They just are too stupid to climb up on the stage, right? Mosh pit, kind of. Yeah, actually. Savage turns on the spotlight and says, how are you still alive? And she then impales a zombie that walks up without looking, like just no scope in yeah. the head, killing it with her cane weapon. And Savage says, still showing off, I see, right? <laughs> and he's like, well, it's time for you to take your turn on stage. He really is my favorite C word. <laughs> yeah. She sits down her candy cane, puts her hair up in a ponytail, and starts singing her fight song. And this one's about how she's going to put on a show that she was born for the role. She's a badass now. Uh, that's not in the song, but she's like a badass, like <laughs> fucking up every zombie in the room with like cool moves and style. And Savage kicks in singing with how she's just a sad person and that it's time for all of society to end. Right. Like the world needs to start over. Is basically what he says. While singing, Savage wraps himself in tinsel and a top hat and starts dancing like old show tune style. It's fantastic. Their song goes back and forth with each other, talking shit constantly. And the chorus is about raising the currents and hitting the lights because it's time for the final show. Dope. It's actually kind of epic. It is. <laughs> it, this is our crescendo. Right. But he sings about how he's in bliss and this apocalypse, and she wants to know why he's like this. And they end on a finale about putting on one hell of a show. Anna has taken out most of the zombies at this point and gets on stage, freeing her dad. They embrace, and then Savage walks up and says, oh, is it time for a group hug? Like, nothing happens. <laughs> Tony decks him in the face, and Anna says, let him go. He's not worth it. Nope, so, wrong, kill that fucker. Right. So Savage breaks a bottle and calls Tony a pleb, which I think is hilarious. That he's throwing pleb yes. and tries to fight him. They get near the end of the stage, and the horde is reaching up while they're fighting and going back and forth a bit, which he's so much bigger, Tony, that is, than Savage. You should have just fucking annihilated him there. Agreed. Uh, he does finally overpower Savage, and he holds him over the horde to feed him to the horde, and then he thinks about what his daughter said. So he decides to let him go. Wrong again. Yep. Savage then grabs a prop to hit Tony with and knock him into the horde, but it's really, he grabs a prop and he hits a switch. It's like a lever yeah. and it's uh, fucked up. Like decoration comes swinging down that almost hit Savage earlier. Yes. During the practice. And he like Jedi steps out of the way as it swings by. We totally missed our foreshadowing setup. I know, this I, know, episode. I, know <laughs> I know. Sorry, guys. Uh, but Anna says, Dad, watch out. And Dad moves and it does hit Savage this time, knocking him into the horde of zombies. But he's like crowd surfing. 
Yeah. And he seems excited about it. And he's like yelling and fist pumping. And then he starts screaming, oh no, oh no, as he realizes <laughs> he's about to be eaten. <laughs> Anna says it's time to roll. They got a car. And then dad shows her that he got bit on the leg during the brawl near the edge of the stage. Because of course he did. Right. <laughs> she cries and says no while she's hugging him and says, surely they're already working on a cure. And her dad lets her know the virus kicks in too fast. There's no way he could be cured. And he tells her to get going. And she says she doesn't know what to do without him. And he tells her that, yes, yeah, she does. And that her mom would be so proud of her if she could see her right now. Oh. And then Nick burst into the room, alive, covered in blood with this bat. He's still <laughs> kicking. He killed a shit ton of zombies to get there. And Tony's like, I'm not real happy about your boyfriend, though. And she's like, it's not my boyfriend. He's like, oh, thank God. There's a bit of good luck. <laughs> <laughs> She tells him Merry Christmas, and he replies back with the same. He sadly admits defeat, and they head outside. Nick and Anna are now stranded in the parking lot, and we can tell it's where Steph's car was earlier, but it's gone. Yup. And there are zombies everywhere around them, and Nick and Anna do the back-to-back, you know, final fight thing as Anna breaks into her final song about how it's all over and how all of the life and light are now gone, but while she's still breathes she will believe and then she looks at nick and pulls up her cane like let's go fuck some shit up (laughs) we then cut to tony on the stage singing with his daughter i mean not they're not in the same room obviously but they're singing a song together (laughs) about how shit was great and then it went bad and he lost the things he needed the most his light's gone too he continues to sing as he smiles looking at a picture of his daughter before he starts to turn into a zombie They then get a duet together, and we can see that the teacher's lounge with zombies from earlier still has a horde walking around, but the horde now includes Lisa and Chris as zombies. They shamble past each other, and their hands accidentally brush, and then they stop and, like, hold hands. So they're still together, but it's zombies. Then a truly sad moment happens when we cut to zombie John sitting on the sidewalk, literally with his intestines, like, laid out, coming out, going down. Yeah. Playing with his Christmas sweater lights because he's still stupid. Like he's stupid for zombies. <laughs> and it's really sad. That's on the nose. <laughs> I mean, it is really sad though. We then see Tony die as Anna sings about keeping hope and believing as long as she breathes while Nick kneels down in defeat because he's like, we're not getting out of this one. The zombies start getting closer and closer. And then Nick apologizes to Anna for everything. And then it starts to snow. And Anna looks up and gets this, like, look on her face and close her eyes. And I think that's supposed to be, like, the moment her dad, she knows her dad just died. And yeah. it snowed. It's time to go do snow angels. Right? Yeah. Right? That's what I got out of anyways. God hates her right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> you then hear an engine roaring. And I say roaring, but, you know, it's like a little European car. <laughs> and it does a little European car horn beep. As Steph slides the car in in front of him. They get in, she puts the car in gear and punches it, and they go roaring off. So our survivors of this film are Steph, Anna, and Nick. They all silently stare out the window, and you can tell they're all, like, actually letting everything sink in. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was a quick two days, right? And Steph wants to know where they're going to go next. Nick looks to Anna, and she thinks for a minute and smiles. We then see them leave town as a Merry Christmas banner starts to blow through the wind and then blows right onto the camera screen. So all you can see is part of the banner and then yanks away with a stinger as we get a jump scare of Santa zombie yelling at the screen right there. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. You did see the random Santa zombie in the movie and there's a, they wanted to do a scene with him earlier and they decided not to, but yeah, I'm fine with this. Sometimes that's cheesy in a movie. Like they did it in uh, sinister and it was stupid. Yeah. 
was not stupid here because this movie <laughs> didn't have jump scares. Exactly. Like the stingers were jokes, like her waking up from bed because her alarm didn't go off. Yep. And stuff. And then you get like a jump scare stinger, like, fuck you, we threw one in. Have fun. Like Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. We get Christmas credits is the best way I know to put it. It's like animated. It kind of reminds me of like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Santa Slay does it. I mean, it's like really popular in Christmas movies to have like the animated cartoon credits. It's that really goofy art style. And uh, the music, it's like a family-friendly actual Christmas song, like yeah. a pop song. And it's just kind of a funny way to end it after everything. Great fucking movie. I love this one. I actually watch it outside of Christmas because it's uh, – we, we've talked about this. It's oh, like, yeah. Hey, let's do zombie movies. I can do Anna. Hey, let's do musicals. I can do Anna. You know, like let's <laughs> hey, do let's horror do comedies. Movies. I can do Anna. You know, like like it just keeps popping up, right? Like it fits into a lot of buckets. Yeah, and uh, any of them would have worked. But I can watch it year round though because it's it's definitely a Christmas movie. But it also it's kind of like takes place during Christmas more than involving it. But it's yeah. it's the jokes like some of them are just dad jokes, like all of John's lines. But they're funny. The timing on all the jokes is great. All the characters are relatable. All the characters, like you're sad when they die, right? Well, not savage, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's goofy nonstop while actually having really violent practical effects gore. And it's really goofy and then has some really like saddening like scenes that give you the feels. Like it, it yeah. just, it, it, I don't know, the balance is better. Than a lot of other movies, like doing everything and kind of transitioning, which is really crazy coming from a director that hadn't done a lot yeah. at the time. You know what I mean? Like, cause that's, that's gotta be, I mean, fuck doing a zombie horror comedy musical has to be hard by itself. No, the, the writing is fucking genius because it doesn't do the whole, oh, it gets so sappy at the end. Josh hates it. Right. I mean, really it, it can't be everything sappy. Everybody died. Yeah. Like Anna's not going to end up with Nick. You can you tell that the whole fucking time. But ba- <laughs> balance is the word because there's hyper violence. There's filthy fucking jokes. There's dad jokes. Like you said, it dabbles into all these areas and it never goes full bore into any of them. And a lot of times that's a movie's fucking downfall. Right. It doesn't know what it wants to be. And on top of it, it's a fucking high school <laughs> musical level musical. And right. it just works. Yeah. Like, like I said, the first time watching it, it gets to the first big number and I'm like, I can't do this. And yeah. then it gets to the first, it gets to that dirty ass song. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest. Like I've seen a lot of Disney musical films with my daughter, but she loves them. my eight year old daughter loves them. Like I've seen the high school musicals. I've seen the zombies. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> and all that shit. And then I've seen most horror musicals and a lot of other regular musicals. And I would argue to say that this is like one of the most musical, musical films I've seen. I got you. Because like even Little Shop of Horrors, it's more Broadway production yeah. than film, right? Like you can tell it's like sets. Yeah, it's, like, a, it's a play broken up with songs. Not- right, right, right. And, and, and then like Wonka, they're singing through that entire fucking movie, but it's a movie with singing. And you yeah. get a lot of that. You get a lot of both sides, actually. I don't know. Like it is the most movie, musical movie I've ever seen. And it, there's a lot of songs. In it. And the first time I watched it, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Just for a minute. Yeah. Like even when they're singing that it's a brand new day and they're like going to meet each other. I'm like, this is dumb. I don't know. I think I'd have been in a bad mood or drunk or something. I'm like, this is dumb. But when they meet in the middle, they start air guitar and doing the goofy pointing and shit. I'm like, okay, I get it. (laughs) I get it. Well, that's what's so crazy. Cause when it goes into those, it's done like that kind of production, like the facial expression of the actors and everybody, they're like going for it. It's like, this is some, some cheesy fucking 11 year old girl. shit, (laughs) And then it's like, you know, jokes involving 
you know, penises and vaginas oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then crazy out of nowhere hyper violence. Oh, like, yeah. I, there's a lot of blood this week. And there is some dodgy CGI because they probably didn't have a very big budget, but no. like it's not that bad. It's also not overused. No, it's uh, it's just some scenes like even the Christmas banner is 100% CGI, right? Yeah. Blowing in the wind and it's like bad because that's probably really expensive to do the wind physics and stuff, especially back then on like a small indie budget. I don't know. Like it just kind of fits. It's kind of like the charm of it a bit because most of the big scenes, like you don't see CGI zombies walking around. You don't see CGI limbs getting knocked off. Yeah, it's not. The, it's not like that. Yeah. It's the CGI you know, Touch blood, up. blood splurts here and, and splatters there that they, they had fountains of blood. They just, they you know, they added some where the blood didn't go because of, you know, physics. Yeah. It's not as bad as walking dead. Uh, <laughs> just so I'm clear on this, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot of fun. This is like, I, this is one of the next ones on my list to try to get my wife to watch. Cause I think okay. she'd actually like it a lot, but right now she's kind of in that. Well, it's not Christmas. <laughs> But, you know, if she that, hasn't that's seen the, it either. Yeah, if that's the angle you got to go to get her to watch it, that's fine. We'll just wait till um, Christmas. I am happy we live in a world where this movie exists. Yeah. Because <laughs> if I was just told about this movie instead of, like, seeing it on Netflix or whatever the fuck it came on and watching it yeah. last year or two years ago, whatever, it would have been like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I mean, I only know about this movie because of our podcast. This is something I learned <laughs> about because we started a podcast. I, it is on Shutter every year for Christmas, but as soon as Christmas is over, the button's there and you click on it, it says not available in your country. <laughs> like that's, it, that's when you got to help on your VPN. It works like three weeks. And I don't know. I've never actually seen it anywhere besides on Shutter. And let's be honest. A lot of people don't have Shutter. Yeah. Their interface is kind of shoddy. It's hard find shit, and I never really. I mean, I see people talk about it, right? Like it's got word of mouth, but there's never ads for it. I don't even remember when it came out. Like I don't remember hearing about it when it came out. Yeah, I kind of remember like the seeing a trailer for something, and it said "Shaun of the Dead meets All Land." But I, I could have watched that on YouTube after the fact. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's just really neat. This guy saw a Disney kids movie and decided to make this out of it. And and you could watch the short. It's on YouTube. Type zombie musical short. Okay. And it's 10 minutes and it is not the same thing, but you can see <laughs> it's like a proof of, it's, even the way it's filmed, you can tell it's meant to be more of a proof of concept film, but it's got stuff there. Like she's walking through her house at the beginning and there's zombies outside the window, like tapping on the window and she's got her earpods in and, and she's okay. not going to go meet John or anything, but she's walking down the street and she randomly gets backup dancers and shit. <laughs> and just people getting mauled everywhere. And I don't know. It, it's a different thing. But it's neat that that guy made that idea. He talked to studio into doing it. And honestly, they decided to do it. Like, they're like, I don't, he wants us to make a zombie comedy musical film based off of his short. How are we going to make this work? And then the guy blew up from those vine videos. Yeah. I'm like, well, everybody knows his name right now. And it's, it's a cool idea. I just don't know how we're going to fucking do it, but let's do it. And they greenlit it. Unfortunately, I mean, it's really sad. I mean, as much as it's sad, like all the people down in the movie, it's sad that he fucking didn't even get to see his movie get made. He didn't even get to direct it. No. And I don't um, mean to talk ill. I, by no means I'm speaking ill of the dead, but what if it was a totally different thing? Yeah. Could have made a completely different movie. Yeah. If he had stuck around. And I don't mean that in a mean way yeah. at all. But yeah, I mean, it was still very much his idea, but like, I mean, most of the cast other than, well, obviously the adults were famous actors like Tony and, and Savage. Yeah. And Nick and Anna have gone on to be, more famous now, but most of the other ones like hardly did anything. The writers hadn't done anything. No, the director hadn't really done anything. And somehow this movie comes out feeling like a professional big studio movie. (laughs) And it's, it's a lot of fun. Like I'm assuming everybody here has seen it (laughs) based off of the emails. (laughs) Yeah, anybody who listens to us without watching these first, like, I don't understand that. It happens. Um, 
But watch this one if you hadn't seen it. I say this sometimes. It, it's one of those movies that has something for everybody, I think. Yeah. And I think it's hard to find somebody. Actually, I've never seen anybody say they don't like the movie or complain about anything because it just works and it's just fun. Just so, go have, don't care about shit sometimes. Turn your mind off and go have fun. Since I'm the cynic uh, on this podcast, every time we're talking about what's coming up next and zombies gets brought up, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. I can't more zombies. I can't. Right. I had no problem with coming back to this one. Right. Because it's not, it's not like, oh, I didn't you even think it. about that. You, you always can, say yeah. no zombie movies, Jesse. No zombie movies. You didn't count it. I don't mind it in this one because this is not a zombie. It's not zombie movie first. That's just, that's part of it. And it's, it's a character. It's a high school kid. It's a breakfast club. It's it's breakfast <laughs> club high school musical with zombies. Um <laughs> And even even from that angle, like and like you said, turn your brain off. It's fun. It really is. Like there's nothing like, oh, dude, man, you got to see this head pop in this. No, just fucking veg out, fucking get high, have a beer, be sober. Yeah, just fucking watch it. Anyways, I hope I did it justice, <laughs> and you guys liked it. But it's time for Josh's movie, which oh my god, I had no fucking clue what he was going to cover. And then I started like watching shit, and I texted him, and then he thought I was saying I was covering it. It got it got a little fucky. We had to get on the phone and fix that. But Josh covered 2008's Repo the Genetic Opera. That's right, kids. It's time to shoot up your Zydrate and prepare for surgery. Oh, yeah. So 2008's Repo the Genetic Opera. The wife made me watch this. That was the first time that I saw it. The first watch is kind of rough because there's a lot that happens real fast. And I'm going to explain yeah. why it happens that way um, for the most money? part. Um, <laughs> time, time, money, and studio intervention but here we go this was directed by darren lynn bowsman who did saw two saw three saw four and then after repo the devil's carnival one and two which are kind of in the same vein as repo i knew i knew his fucking name when i saw it on the credits the other day but i couldn't figure out why <laughs> this was written by bowsman and terrence zdenik which he also did writing on devil's carnival one and two and terrence is the really the mastermind of this whole thing and we will get into that <laughs> So for our cast of 72 fucking characters, um, only picked a few. We've got uh, Alexa Vaga as Shiloh. Uh -huh. Now, this was coming off of Spy Kids and MySpace, but we'll get to that too. Oh, Spy Kids was before this. But there's jokes in the uh, in the commentary about like, hey, once we once we put her in those fuck me boots, she became a woman because <laughs> um, the commentaries are fucking hilarious. Paul fucking Servino. Yeah. As surprised. I can't roll my R's, but Ro Roddy Largo, <laughs> Roddy Largo, a bunch of shit who only agreed to be in this if he got to actually sing opera, which that's easy. He is also Mira Sorvino's dad. Hey, that makes sense. <laughs> We've got Anthony Head. As Nathan and Anthony the Stewart head. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always want to call him Anthony Michael head and that's so wrong, but it's, <laughs> you know, anyway. I, I just remember it popping up on Buffy 390 times or yes. whatever. Who of course was in Buffy and a lot of other shit, <laughs> yeah. but thanks to Buffy, he ended up in this film. Sarah Brightman, which I mm -hmm. want to mention as blind mag because she's not an actress, right? She's a fucking like world renowned opera, opera singer, singer. Yeah. Um, with over 180 golden platinum albums in 40 fucking countries. Oh, yeah. This is her first film. This is, uh, this is where shit's going to get weird. Paris Hilton as Amber <laughs> sweet. And 
She's, she's good in it. She's good. She's actually fucking great. Unlike House of Wax. <laughs> <laughs> I saw an interview. I don't remember if it was Darren or Terrence, but they saw that Paris Hilton had signed up to audition for the film. They're like, oh God, no, what the <laughs> fuck? And then she goes in there and she starts talking and acting out the role and she sings a bit or whatever. And they're like, this shit's going to fucking work. Yep. And, and they hired her. And uh, apparently they had to stop production at one point. Did you have this in your at, notes? At a few points. But they had to stop production at one point because they were 50 grand short to finish the movie. So she said, hold on. And she called a nightclub and said, I'll do a one night only appearance for $50,000. Yes. And then did it and then gave them the money to finish the movie. So she was all in on this shit. Not only did she pony up some dough for the movie, but she supplied all of her own wardrobe. Oh, okay. And she actually asked, she's like, you know, I have a lot of clothes and I understand (laughs) since my character's always changing what my character should wear. Yeah. And she was worried like... Here I am coming in saying I'm going to do this shit. And Bowsman's like, you mean we don't have to pay to clothe you? <laughs> Fuck yeah. And I'm sure they didn't want to take like Hilton family money, right? Like, so Because you got to think like she's from like a billionaire family. Why'd she have to go do a gig? She made it her own money that she did a fundraiser basically, yep. right? And gave it to him. So it's um, kind of neat because you always like think so much shit about her, but she helped. This movie probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. And, and this was before she did that album and, and all that shit. But this is probably why she decided to do an album. Probably. Last person I have to mention, cause it's Bill Mosley and that's Bill <laughs> Mosley as Luigi. And, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and mention an ogre as a uh, Pavi. Cause apparently in crowds that I'm not familiar with, he's the singer of skinny puppy, right? Or somebody from skinny puppy, dude, we're going to get into all kinds of musicians. I don't remember, but he's popular. Uh, yeah, like, you talking about the guy with like the mask? Yes. Yeah, he's somebody from Skinny Puppy. Okay. We should also probably mention that Terrence is also in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the grave robber, who's probably my favorite character. Yes, he is. He is basically our narrator. Um, <laughs> and before we get too deep into this, this is not a musical. This is an opera. This yeah. is a straight up rock opera. This is much like the last musical episode. I did a musical, and Josh did a rock opera. This makes Rocky Horror look like a musical, in my opinion, because this just, I think there's 11 words of spoken dialogue in the film. <laughs> I think in all seriousness, it's five sentences in the entire fucking film. So this started off with Terrence doing what he called 10 minute fucking operas. And they were usually rock operas because that was his thing. He came yeah. from the art crowd, was primarily an artist and then moved into like a drawing artist. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, which is going to come back into this. Oh, I bet he did all the comic. There you go. Yeah, yeah that yeah, makes look, sense. Yeah, connecting the dots. Because he's a storyboard artist, right? Yes. Yeah. So this led to the most popular one being the Necro Merchant's Debt in 01. Now, this is in LA, right? Like, yes. This is in LA clothes. It's probably part of how this got made. <laughs> yes. And this is carrying all the way in. So the Necro Merchant's Debt got so popular that that grew into a 45-minute set. Okay. Where Terrence is hooking up with other musicians, and they're just going to rock clubs and doing these, you know, little little rock operas. Meanwhile, you got Daryl Lynn Bowsman, who has, I'm going to go to LA and be a screenwriter and make <laughs> movies. And he isn't getting shit done. And by happenstance, he runs into someone and through conversation, he's like, I think you might actually be interested in this and shows him this fucking 10 minute opera thing. Like you should go check this out. Is this pre saw films for him? Yes. Okay. Uh, he may already been in, I think he was in the process of actually landing saw two. Okay. By this point, maybe. Actually, I need to go look at the release date on it. This may have been before that, but it leads to Bowsman reading the stage script. And he fucking begged to direct (laughs) 
the, the play. play. <laughs> I saw that. And so, and it was like a four night run or something like that. That was, it was just going to be a weekend. Then it grew to four nights. Then it grew to multiple weekends. So there was groundswell for this movie before it ever existed. Okay. I'm sure it was really popular with that. Cur- well, actually who all's in the short that eventually came out from yeah. this before the movie, it had to have just been popular with that LA crowd. Right? Exactly. So, uh, after Saul three, Bowsman had some money, and he financed the 10-minute short that Jesse was just alluding to and uh, brought in the Saul production team to do the short and who would later come in to do the feature because they had no money. (laughs) They even used several sets from Saul 4 in Repo. Okay. That when Bowsman was writing and telling them to build stuff, he was having them build stuff on Saul's dime to use in Repo. Oh, (laughs) wow. It just kind of clicked. So in the short, Michael Rooker was in it, and I saw Shawnee Smith. She's in... Saul. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's how he got her to do it. Yeah. Is Rooker in Saul? He's not, is he? No. Okay. I don't believe so. I've only seen like two of them. So. Oh, damn. So the idea when it's like, can we bring this into a feature film? Like, what's the vision? Well, it needs to be Blade Runner meets Rocky Horror. Fair. That is fair. (laughs) (laughs) I could see it. It was very obvious that they were going to have a lot of VFX shots. So they hired Switch VFX, which Bowsman says he owes his life to because he hired them and paid them to do 70 shots. They did over 300. Jesus. (gasps) Alexa was doing hairspray. And Bowsman MySpace messaged her because you got to okay. remember when this okay. was. Yeah, it's and, actually pretty old. Yeah, when I was thinking about when my old roommate used to watch it. It's like, you have to be Shiloh. That's how she ends up. Okay. Up because the joke is, of course, it goes through management and an agent, blah, 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 blah. He didn't message her directly. And uh, the message didn't make it to her. And the story is that she ended up firing that agent once she found out. Okay. She was pissed. Don't know how true that is because there's a lot of goofing off in the commentary. But anyways, so we're trying to round out the cast and the studio said absolutely no way in hell Nathan is going to be played by head. They were weeks away from recording the fucking songs before going (laughs) into pre-production for the movie and Bowsman showed them once more with feeling. Okay. You do not understand. He can do this. They watched it and said, (laughs) you're right. He's hired. Yeah. Well, my the same roommate, Mike. I mean, you know Mike. Yeah. Uh, this was one of his favorite films, and he's also who got me into Buffy. The okay. show. I mean, I watched the movie when I was younger. Yeah. He was obsessed with all this shit. And he told me that, like, Anthony Stewart Head was actually a really famous singer in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, I guess that partly had something to do with it, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. They just didn't get it. But, you know, studio. Speaking of music, I want to run through a short list. These aren't bands did music in the film, but musicians from these bands or studio musicians for these bands were involved in making this music. Okay. People from Otep, Head PE, Black Sabbath, Jane's Addiction, Corn, Slipknot, Dead Z, Rob Zombie, Bauhaus, Love and Rockets, Skrillex, Filter, Guns and Roses, Foo Fighters, and many, many more. Jeez, like just band members like came and like helped. Yeah, like this bass player, this drummer, this guitarist, like. Everybody calling in every fucking favor they can. It's L.A. Um, I mean, this was probably just re- like they probably all had seen some of these rock operas at or the they, clubs and, and knew of them. Yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I got to help make this. I you played know? with Joe and he said he did this shit with Terrence one night. Right, and it right. was killer. Like, I'll go do it. There were 52 songs and or movements written for the film. Fuck. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Now. OK. Yeah. 22 that made it into the official soundtrack and a few were cut completely. And we'll get into a couple of those. Logline tagline, not your parents' opera. (laughs) 
I prefer once you know the film, Assassin, Murderer, Monster. Oh, that's pretty cool. However, this would be my mom's opera, I think. I think she'd dig it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to open with a set of comic panels yeah. to let us know where we are in the story, because this was written as Act 2 of a trilogy. Obviously, we have not seen Act 1 or Act 3 hmm. since then, but yes, this was Star Wars. I was about um, to say that. <laughs> I didn't have to make the Star Wars reference this time. It's great. So the panels were drawn by Terrence, okay. obviously. That makes he, sense now. And he gives big credit to somebody else that I didn't note that actually did all the coloring. That He just did straight black and white outlines, and the coloring animation was done by another artist, and then, of course, Switch VFX come in and animate them. Yeah, because storyboards, unless Ridley Scott drew them, usually aren't colored. <laughs> So uh, through these, we learn that in the not too distant future, after an epidemic of organ failures, millions die. Chaos ensues. And Jinko, Gene Co. like genetic, not Jinko like the pants. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. Jinko rises to power with life saving transplants. And they offer in house financing. <laughs> so now the world has embraced cosmetic surgery as a fashion statement. And Jinko even creates an expensive and addictive painkiller, Cydrate. This drug is in such high demand that grave robbers extract it from the dead and sell it on the black market. Oh, okay. So I thought they were just taking some sort of like brain fluid. I'm like, why is it glow blue? So it's probably actually the Zydrate they got from Geneco when they died and it's still in their body and Ex they extract it. Oh, okay. It makes exactly. so much more sense now. All right. Now this whole opening was told through the panels because- right. A, they couldn't afford to shoot all this. Yeah. And B, this wasn't the original opening. Oh, but we'll get there. We just keep edging people. Just edging them along. <laughs> we also learned that Roddy Largo, Jinko's founder, has lobbied Congress to pass a law making organ repossession legal. And this gives us the repo men. Legal assassins, right? Yes. I'm going to name a lot of the songs or movements as we go through here. Not all of them, but some of them, the title ties in with the one sentence I'm going to read to paint the picture. <laughs> That's what I did. It makes sense. That's how you do a musical. So genetic repo man occurs many times in the film. This repo man. So we're introduced to grave robber who tells the tale oh, yeah. of a six foot six repo man who will rip out whatever organ you owe on while we watch a girl get her heart ripped out. New body parts were needed to perfect our image. And until our debts are clear, we will live in fear of the... We get our title card. This opening song we just saw with Terrence or Grave Robber explaining how the Repo Man works was a one-take reshoot. In fact, huh. all of the solo stuff with Terrence when he's not with primary cast members, all pickups hmm. at the very end of production. We then fly over this dark, dank, post-apocalyptic city that is filled with rot and flying streaming Jinko ads, including <laughs> Blind Mag's farewell performance. Oh my God, all I can see is 90s baggy jeans every time you talk. <laughs> We can see in these ads that Jinko either owns or finances everything. Yep. Now all restaurants are Taco Bell. <laughs> or Pizza Hut. It depends on which cut of the film. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So as we fly into Jinko corporate headquarters, we <laughs> land in Roddy's office. Where oh, not Apollo Denim? Wait, huh? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> We land in Roddy's office where he flips through some not-so-fancy pictures of his degenerate offspring. Oh, yeah, all of them. Um, Amber, <laughs> Luigi, and Pavi. Pavi's first face is Bowsman's fiance's face. Okay. Does anybody want to know what the design was for that? So Pavi was supposed to have that in the stage show. 
Nobody had the time or the money, so he always just had a fucked up face. And that was one of Bowsman's favorite things was like, we get to do what y'all wanted to do with somebody <laughs> else's stretched over face. It's fucking awesome. Um, anyways, this doctor comes in and reports to Roddy that, uh, um, Roddy, you're sick and it's terminal. So Roddy responds by having one of his security girls blow his brains out. Because Roddy's a pimp. He's got these two like, yeah. like sexy decked out chicks with machine guns. They remind me of the chicks from Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love music video. It's like the short hair, and I think they have like keytars and shit. Yes. They're dancing. That's all I can think when I see them, and they just keep getting referred to as, as his deadly assassins. Yes. It's, it's fucking great. So uh, this shot to the head was supposed to be a like full-blown scanner style. And oh, okay. The, and the rig failed, and they did not have the time or money to reshoot it. Moving on. Just like they did. To things you see in a graveyard. Ooh, part one. So Roddy is dying and his spawn is not fit to take over the empire. What to do? And we see a funeral and the, as the women are singing out in the cemetery, you know, things you see in a graveyard. Yeah. Just, just so y'all understand, I'm going to tell you this. And then what I say immediately after it is what we learn in the song. <laughs> um, fucking George Romero was supposed to be the priest at the funeral. Oh, that would cool. He agreed to do it and everything and then couldn't because of a scheduling conflict. Gotcha. So that's why you got gas mask preacher dude. Which is kind of cool. So it was kind of like the plague doctor. Yes. Very much so. We move straight into a sandwich and a bag. What? <laughs> yes. Where we're seeing what we're about to learn is Shiloh in another gas mask, not Davy Havoc, um, <laughs> <laughs> who is sneaking out of her bubble boy bed and to a mausoleum for a bite and to read about bugs. And uh, she ends up chasing a bug out into the graveyard where Grave Robber is <laughs> snatching some Zydrate while Big Brother Jinko blasts out an ad for Zydrate with a reminder that buying from an unlicensed dealer is illegal. It also has a sign in the graveyard that the grave robber looks at that says grave robbing is punishable by execution. <laughs> yes. On site. Yeah. I noticed the uh, the bugs glowing blue, and I guess it's from like munching on the brain from a corpse Possibly. or something. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to catch it. It's like glowing like the Zydrate does. Yep. I'm not going to explain the mausoleum yet. I want to I wanna lead everyone on. <laughs> so we go into 21st century cure. It's quick. It's clean. It's pure. It could change your life. Rest assured. It's the 21st century. Cure. And it's my job to steal and rob. I'm just going to say he's my favorite character and his songs are all my favorite. They're the only ones that get stuck in my head. He's fucking awesome, man. So in this grave robber is spotted and uh, the graveyard goes into lockdown and Shiloh follows as grave robber picks up and uses a corpse as a battering ram. Yep. To bust this wall down into this massive warehouse piled with the fucking dead. And he's, of course, like, jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Shiloh is quickly captured, but a repo man arrives, demanding her release. Shiloh then gets a blood pressure warning on her Apple Watch, telling her... (laughs) (laughs) They predicted the future, man. (laughs) Telling her to medicate immediately. I'm going to start talking like grave robber. Um, (laughs) I would enjoy your company much more if you did. (laughs) (laughs) We move into Shiloh wakes 
And as she does, bald now in her bubble, if for everyone that was going, man, that looks like a shitty wig. That's because it's a shitty wig. She still looks like Davy Havoc, even when she's bald, though. Um, <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? But as she awakes bald in her bubble, her father, Nathan, tells her that what she just saw in the graveyard was all in her head due to her sickness. But she's not buying it. Nathan explains that the blood disease that killed her mother was passed on to her, and he is trying to keep her alive. And he doses her. Every time we have one of these encounters, it's take your medicine, da-da-da-da-da. So her and Bowsman talk about her terrible farts on set in the commentary. Um, huh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know where else to put it. Because <laughs> they were giving her like Alka-Seltzer or something like that to make it fizz in the drinks. And Bowsman was like, fucking drink it. I want you drinking it in the shot. Uh-huh. And she was getting such bad gas from constantly drinking it that it was a joke on set. Like, oh, watch out for, for the Vega farts. Um, <laughs> I just thought that was kind of humorous. We move over into Infected. Which is just a song about teen angst and how I'm fucking stuck here. And it's a I'm, good song. Yeah, yeah. And I want to go outside. I like her singing voice. Yeah. yeah. Her like grungy one she does. Well, and part of Infected is like she she's going around and you see that she collects bugs and all this yeah. shit, which was a setup for something later that got cut. Oh. So we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. Meanwhile, <laughs> we go back to the comic for Nathan's story. And this is what we're oh, going to yeah. see. We're going to go back to the comic for backstory for the characters. So 17 years ago, all was well for him and Prego Marnie, but Marnie got sick. And when Nathan's cure went wrong, he had to choose between saving her or the baby. He could only save one. Dun, dun, dun. We go into legal assassin. Years roll by without you, Marnie Seventeen have come and gone I raised our Shiloh with the best intentions But there is something I can tell her I'm lost without you here I am only living out a and Nathan sings to Marnie's corpse. He's kept in a wall at the end of this hallway that's really fucking bitching because it's all these holographic yeah, pictures yeah. of her and shit. That was directly from Saw 4, that whole hallway. Bowsman makes a okay. point to bring that up. <laughs> it's like, I had the guys build this and Lionsgate paid for it and they didn't know it. <laughs> it reminds me of like, uh, not the hallway, but the the holograms. Made me think like Pepper's Ghost Disney World tricks yeah. for like uh, Haunted Mansion and shit. It looks great. The, oh, it does. Yeah. There's some CGI gore in this that's not great, but like all this kind of stuff is fucking phenomenal. Well, even the backdrops of the city, you can tell it's shitty CGI that you could do with AI in like two minutes nowadays, yeah. but it like... It fits yeah. the movie. Like, I wouldn't want the movie to have, even Blade Runner, even the new Blade Runner, it's like over-the-top cityscape yeah. CGI, right? And, and I'm sure they did it because of money, because they couldn't <laughs> make it that detailed. But it kind of like, I don't know, it just like adds to the vibe. It matches the atmosphere. and that Yeah, there you go. It matches the atmosphere to have it look that way. And I really like the way all of that shit was done. Yeah, it was badass. <laughs> I knew I wasn't clever enough to come up with the term legal assassin on my own. I had to have seen it in the song list. <laughs> so Nathan then goes through his own secret passage to reveal that he is the repo man. Yeah. So we've seen Shiloh sneak out. We've seen Nathan sneak out. They both have secrets. And he was doing his like top hat up and down. He's like, no one's going to stop me now. Is that this one or is that the other one? No, 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 no. We're going to get to that one. <laughs> I think. So now on first watch. 
like shit's happening so fast in the beginning of this movie. It's like, what the fuck's going on? And we get to a musical movement that leads into Mark It Up. And you're about to hear pieces of both of them. And we go (laughs) into straight up fucking trauma territory. Lungs and livers and bladders and hearts. You'll always save a bundle when you buy our jingle parts. Slings and chestnuts and spines and brains. the fuck is dad brothers he left me in charge sister i don't take lip from my slut my brother and sister should potty shut the fuck up i'm the smartest and the toughest I will find a hole and fuck it. And it is so good. And this shows the battle for Jinko between the kids. And they're all fucktards in their own way. Like Amber Sweet is just vain as fuck. And all she cares about is the money. This is why it was perfect for Paris Hilton. I don't mean that as a slight. (laughs) I I really like being coming from money. We we were talking about this during our break. People that come from old money versus new money. Yeah. And you get different personality types most of the time with that. It's a stereotype for a reason. I will say she's the most stable of the three children. Though. I know. Isn't that the scary fucking part? <laughs> I know. She's just addicted to the knife. <laughs> the knife? <laughs> the knife. <laughs> anyway. All of his songs do do that. Fun fucking song. So then we see Shiloh get a message from Roddy on that same iPhone watch thing. Apple watch. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Fitbit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fitbit. No, no, no. We use that. I use that joke way too much in aliens. Um, <laughs> anyways, Roddy's saying he has the cure and he wants her to meet at Marnie's tomb. Oh, fuck. That's the mausoleum she was in when she was eating a sandwich. You go back and read it like, oh, it's Marnie. Well, I mean. When she's reading her bug book and the books run around, she has it sitting on a giant thing that says, here lies Marnie, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know names yet, though. Um, <laughs> we then get Roddy's story. And Roddy and Marnie were actually an item 17 years ago. And uh, she ended up leaving him for Nathan. He then poisoned Nathan's quote-unquote cure that killed Marnie. He could only punish one. And, of course, what we see in the panels is he's going to punish Nathan, because Nathan, this is how Nathan gets fucked into being right. the repo man, which will be greatly clarified later for those of you in the back. <laughs> On to the limo ride where Roddy has picked up Shiloh. And uh, Roddy's plan is to go out with a bang since he's fucking terminally ill. And uh, he offers mm. her the cure for the disease and asks her to go on a date with him to Blind Mag's final performance. Which seems really confusing because we're going to get to the Renaissance Fair and say Blind Mag is going to be on the stage tonight and then Amber doesn't show up. But it's this is all one night. Well, also, she might do a song or two at the fair, but the genetic opera, you can tell yes. it's like the Super Bowl in this world. Like yes. it's a big thing. I mean, Super Bowl's not shit to me, but like it's like a, it's like a big <laughs> event because they say the annual Genco, you know. Uh, it's a hootenanny. Yeah, it's a hootenanny. There we go. <laughs> Um, we then go into thankless job. This is the song you were talking about with head. We jump straight to Nathan doing a repossession while he sings about things like skinning dicks. Does he say that? In there? Yes. Oh, I missed it. Yes. Some of these lyrics are dude. Look at the lyrics. They're dark, <laughs> man. This dude that he's chopping up and repossession the organs from, he ends up puppeteering him and have, making him do background vocals. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thankless job. <laughs> All the gore shots in this were pickups. 
Okay. Because the studio told Bowsman to shoot for PG-13. <clears throat> what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know if he turned around to him and been like, did you read the fucking script? <laughs> I kind of want to make this like a uh, a challenge, like get some people together and try to make like a super low budget PG-13 version of this film. <laughs> How do you do it? Well, uh, a lot of what got cut was nudity. Gotcha. But we'll get to that. But Bowsman knew there was no fucking way and everywhere he could sneak in or go back and do inserts, he fucking did. Gotcha. Meanwhile, at the post-plague Italian Renaissance, Ogre gets a new face from the Genturns. Now, now the Genturns are the, well, they're hello nurses um, to go back to Animaniacs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they're always around the family. They're the interns, but they're also like, Pavi always has a flock of them. Um, anyways, <laughs> just want to explain that for anyone who hasn't seen this. And God, you're confused if you haven't seen this. Um, I'm confused. I have seen it three times this week. <laughs> so back to where I was before I interrupted myself. Ogre gets a new face from the gen turns. Luigi kills over coffee. Sorry, Mr. Largo. Here's a fresh cup for you. Ah! What's this? Rat piss? Oh, Luigi, stop it. The spawn show their asses again, basically, as they then fuck with Mag. And Roddy and Shiloh show up, and we then get Mag's story. Mag and Marnie were best friends, and Roddy gave Mag new eyes, and now she must serve only one. This is kind of a rewrite, and we will get into this later. Okay. Because I really like the original idea. Also, meanwhile, we get to see Nathan on another repo mission. He gets a medication reminder, medication reminder on his watch that yeah. we now know is happening at the same time that Shiloh gets the blood pressure warning, blood pressure warning. So they end up on a phone call and uh, there's actually a, another musical piece here that's called like, uh, what a terrible time for a call or or a phone call interrupted or something like that. That's actually kind of funny. And they're both lying to each other about where they yeah, are and what, yeah. they're, what they're doing. And it's funny as shit because Nathan's sitting here ripping this guy's spine out that's yeah. hanging upside down where he's, he's like, Shiloh, you need to take your medicine. Um, Daddy, are you at the office? What was that? Yeah, it's a rough night. <laughs> but Grave Robber then pops up to help sneak Shiloh home, all while Amber is a no-show at the main stage. And this isn't the first time. Is it because she's addicted to the knife? She's addicted to the knife. The knife? Amber's looks are always changing. Rumors are spreading that she's addicted to surgery and Zydrate. I heard she butt chugs it. <laughs> By now we've seen and learned that Roddy's kids are just full-blown fuckheads. What's he going to do with his empire, Jesse? Give it to the girl he thinks is his daughter because it was 17 <laughs> years ago and she's 17? Close. Real close. But fuck that, because it's time for Zydrate Anatomy. Zydrate comes in a little glass vial. A little glass vial? A little glass vial! And the little glass vial goes into the gun like a battery. And the Zydrate gun goes somewhere against your anatomy. And when the gun goes off, it sparks and you're ready for surgery. Surgery. Now Amber shows up and uh, she does some singing on this because she comes in with the grave robber, da-da-da-da. And... Uh, She's good in it. She is. Yeah. What's hilarious here. So in this scene in the alley, there's a part where she's singing and she like puts herself up against a door and pokes her butt out. Yeah. On there's two commentaries on the DVD. The one with Bill Mosley. He's like, when she comes in on that scene, walking down, down, he's like, look, everybody, I, we're going to put this shit to bed. Like she, Paris Hilton was fucking amazing. And they, they go on and they start talking about the involvement that she had and like all the shit. And they're, they're really fluffing her up. And, uh, <laughs> and it gets to where she's poking her butt out and uh bill mosley's like she was absolutely amazing like right there because <laughs> it's fucking bill mosley that's how he is anyways once she shows up we confirm 
both of her addictions, both the surgery and the Zydrate, because she's getting shot up in the alley. And the editing here gets really fucking weird because it just cuts to things that look like a music video where Paris Hilton's like rolling around on the floor and shit in a different outfit. That's all cut from another song that ended up not making it into the huh. movie, but they did shoot it. And it's uh, Come Up and Try My New Parts. Okay. Which I want to read the lyrics of that one. I bet that's an interesting song. <laughs> um, anyways. So I listened to one of the versions. There's multiple versions of the soundtrack. Yeah. And I listened to the movie order one and then a random one. And she has a song where she's singing with him about he can only get it up for dead girls. That's another song. Oh, okay. I was going to say, yes. maybe that was this one. That's not in the movie, right? Yeah. yeah. I think the name of that one is actually uh, can only get it up for a corpse. Yeah. But that's not in the movie though, <laughs> nope. right? Okay. Okay. Did not make the film. But I mean, it was like Paris singing and shit. Like yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy, man. Of course, Shiloh's there for all of this. And uh, she learns that if blind Mag ever bounces, she will lose her eyes to the repo man. And uh, Shiloh and Amber are then both taken to their respective homes. There's a lot going on in that song. Because she's like looking in this magazine and Grave Roberts explaining, yeah. like, man, if she ever fucking quits, why does everybody keep talking about her final performance? So, uh, <laughs> Night Surgeon. And this guitar sounds like guitar from Night Trap. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of weird, like, the stages of metal the soundtrack goes through. And yeah. then they give, like, random 80s punk on the... Like 17, yeah. somewhere her outfit changes and shit. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's nuts. And then like, there's a, like a really techno-y electronic sounding song. It's probably the Skrillex one. Probably. And uh, it's actually really catchy and it works. <laughs> and we have full-blown operatic stuff from... Blind Mag? No, from... Well, obviously, but from... Sorvino. Uh, <laughs> Sorvino, thank yeah. you. But you're a night surgeon. You trap augers. No, wait. Um, anyways, <laughs> Nathan is called to Roddy's office and uh, he's told his next mission is to take fucking blind mag's eyes. And Nathan's like, fuck no. And Roddy reminds him of the agreement they have. As long as he's the repo man, Roddy will keep the truth about Marnie's death hidden from Shiloh. Nathan then does a repossession at the Jinko office. Dear Marnie, I am so sorry. Can you forgive me for this? Not the dead doctor with the hungry scalpel. Here's my prognosis. Will they live? Doubtful. This was a reshoot. Kinda. They ran out of money. And, okay. And Bowsman's like, we need this scene. We need what gets talked about in this song for what we're fixing to go into. And that's why it's a Dexter room. They had no set left. They had no place to okay. film it. So they're just like, here's some plastic and two hanging corpses. Shoot. <laughs> and Bowsman's, I didn't notice that anything was out of place. I know. It was just yeah. like, okay, we go into the kill room off, off from Roddy's office. This, I believe this. He's got expensive furniture. He doesn't want blood and guts on it. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. That's why his fucking dog on a leash with the mask isn't allowed in the room. <laughs> he shits and pisses on everything and rubs his ass on the carpet. I got a cat like that. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm, I think I'm done saying that. Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We go to Chase the Morning, which is a Blind Mag song, and uh, she goes to see Shiloh, and she reveals that not only was she Marnie's friend, but that she is Shiloh's godmother. Interesting thing happened. The set caught on fire while they were filming the song. Okay. And somebody was yelling, fire, fire, and Bowsman and everybody was like, yeah, this shit's on fire. <laughs> like, that's how-, <laughs> how high were they on a scale of one to 12? I don't know, man, but that's how they tell the story, and I fucking believe it. <laughs> At any rate, Nathan comes home and he's right there in in the living room 
foyer, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And there's, you know, Shiloh and blind mag. And he basically throws mag out like, fuck, I was hired to kill this chick. She's got to go. I can't be spotted with her. And Shiloh's like, dad, you've got to hide her. You got to hide her from the repo man. He's like, no, no, I'm afraid I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) This leads us to 17. 17 and you can't stop me. 17 and you will boss me. You cannot control me, father. Daddy's girl's a fucking monster. Yes, that is Joan Jett playing guitar in the corner. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, there's a part during 17 where you'll see shiloh pick up a flashlight and start looking around everywhere and it's like what the fuck is she looking at there's a spot during 17 where she knocks over her bug display and the bugs are supposed to be possessed and flying everywhere okay they ran out of money so this ends with nathan slapping the shit out of shiloh and we jump back over to Jinko. so have they hit like the giant pipe pants at this point <laughs> they're just the baggy ones no no we've we've went we went from what started as a snowboarder thing into full-blown spacehead raver territory oh no we're halfway there right now Oh no. I put this in here just because I really, really, I love this part. It's so short, but this is happiness is not a warm scalpel (laughs) and it's between Roddy and Amber sweet. And it's awesome. Baby, 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 don't do this. I will never sing again. I gave you the life I wished I'd had I look like a crime scene dad All you ever do is take, take, take All I ever do is give That surgery was only 90 grand I did not complain when you changed your name From Largo to Sweet you are a disgrace. Your jeans are not worthy of mine. So uh, Roddy nearly hacks up a lung when he sees her face and he agrees to fix it for tonight's show. I read that he was supposed to vomit when he saw her face and he fucking refused to do it. I'd buy that. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to puke shit up for you. I'll cough. <laughs> Roddy then bursts into the song Gold. And his plan is to leave everything to Shiloh. Yeah. Fuck it. I've had enough. I know where this chick is. Gotcha. I didn't uh, I didn't realize he hadn't said that once yet when I said that earlier. Yeah. But I, when you said, I mean, it said it in the comic strip. You reminded me like uh, he was with her 17 years ago. Morning. Yes. I'm like, well, I'm technically there's a chance that's his daughter. And yeah, I yeah. wonder if he's thinking that. And that's what I thought. And that never gets flushed out in any right, of the research. Right. I really do think that Shiloh really is Nathan's daughter. Oh, I wasn't saying she wasn't. I just, I, I could see where Roddy thinks it might be his daughter. Yeah. Cause they make it, She's not fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a question. You might be getting there, okay. but I watched this movie three fucking times this week <laughs> and I still never figured out. Does she actually have a blood disease? No, we'll, we will cover that. Okay. Okay. We will cover that. So Roddy then messages Shiloh. And Nathan sees it this time because she's asleep in the bed and he's sitting next to her. And it's like, oh, fuck. Roddy sends a squad to take out Nathan. And he kicks their asses because he's, <laughs> he's Nathan, the repo man. Yeah, but but he got away. He's refusing to go kill or repossess or kill blind mags. So Roddy's pissed. And he doesn't have much time. But yes, he's the repo man. He whoops their asses. While this is going on, Shiloh sneaks out 
and she's going to Roddy's waiting car that's there to take her to the opera. We follow Nathan as he goes down the holographic hallway to where Marnie's body was inside the wall that we saw earlier, and now she's gone. If you pay attention when you first see her, you don't even know it's fucking Marnie. It's just a chicken. She's wearing this hat that's covering almost all of her face. I never actually realized there was a body. Yeah. <laughs> so check this out. The original reason for her to be missing is due to a dump storyline and two songs that included Shiloh finding out that Pops killed her mom and Mag ended up with her eyes. That was the original idea. I love that. It is. It's cool from a story building perspective that I think is too much for this film. No, I no, like no. that she has these crazy like cyborg eyes that can do like effects and shit. Yeah, yeah. That that part's cool. The whole as as the story intertwines and unravels, I, I just think it that would have been a punch to the fucking gut. Oh yeah. That, if this was a novel in prose, it needed yeah, to be fucking Marnie's. Yeah, I love eyes. That. I would have much rather had that. But uh we then see Nathan prep to save Shiloh and kill Roddy. He's going to do what he fucking has to do because he's, he's dead. He loves his baby. I would love to see this like final scene of Nathan running in shot with a budget. You know, like him going down the hallway <laughs> matrix style, fucking killing everybody. Yeah. Would have been kind of cool. Instead of the three kills we get to see. So at the opera tonight, this is the big crossover song where everybody gets their part and it's the big crescendo to get us into the third act. And it's too fucking long to put in this episode, but everybody go listen to it. It's called At the Opera Tonight. I like it. Right afterwards, in Bloodbath, Grave Robber lets us know that it's going to be a hell of a show. A bloodbath. Because <laughs> he, like, his original version, the Necro Merchant's Dead or whatever, he was the narrator. Yeah. Right? Like, while other people played. Okay. That's, all, that's what I thought I read. Well, and he played in it, too. I, yeah, yeah, I knew that. I accidentally did research that I didn't mean to do watch this movie because like, I kept thinking Blonde Mag looked really familiar and I couldn't figure out what movies I knew her from. That's what I thought too. Nothing. And Absolutely looked, nothing. I looked her up and I'm like, she's just a she world renowned artist. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I was like, I think I know Terrence from something and I know his voice. He's got to be a voice actor, right? Like, I kept going through these things. And I'm like, none of these people are from fucking anything and I'm going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just voice makes the song stick in your head. Yes. I believe him. He, he could be reading me a fucking recipe and I'm like, I can't stray. I want him as my Siri voice. <laughs> so we started this opera shit kicks in and several people <laughs> at the opera are testifying about how Jinko saved them. And this is probably this, like the, 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 it's fucking cool. And like, everybody's like, I, you know, I got this and you get cameos from a bunch of people from fucking Saul movies here. Uh, okay. Um, and, and then the older lady's like, look at my tits. Yeah. We're going to talk about her. Um, <laughs> Cause she's the chick that sings about her kidney transplant and her hot new body. She's the only person in the film who isn't singing her own lines. Huh. Her singing was done by Ann Decatur, better known as Poe. Do you remember Poe from the yeah, 90s? Yeah. Okay. So who was she and why did she have to have someone else sing for her? No clue. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it was like a producer's wife or something. Well, she just uh, randomly shows her boobs, huh? She couldn't sing. I know that much. <laughs> then why hire her for a rock opera? I don't know. Well, I got nothing, man. I wish I could say, well, they did hire Paris Hilton, but she's fantastic yeah. in it. <laughs> now, once they get to the opera, this is when some of the stuff was was dumped. If you'll notice at the very back, there's two very large women in their underwears, like dancing like strippers. Okay. I didn't notice that. They were supposed to be butt naked. Oh. And they're like, you're not filming that. And then when the gin turns get on stage, they were supposed to be naked. 
this is supposed to be very hedonistic. Okay. But the studio's like, dude, PG-13. Like, and anyways, so. I will but, say this, like, third act of the film or whatever to me is, like, very fucking rushed. And it confused me the first time I watched it in a decade, and I had to, like, rewind it. Wait until I explain to you what happened to this oh, third I was, act. I was waiting for it. Like, this whole time, I'm like, how did this get fucked up so bad? I can't wait till Josh tells me. So when Shiloh arrives... She's off in some side room watching this video that Roddy made, telling her that she needs to be the bait and set a trap for the Repo Man. Mm-hmm. This was redone to, Ooh. yep, the whole thing's fixing to get real weird, and we'll get real into it when we get to the stage. Fuck, Jesse was right. Because, meanwhile... Amber- <laughs> yes, I knew it! Amber Sweet takes the stage, and her fucking face falls off. I hate how it was shot. I hate how it was edited. It's edited like shit, but the idea is cool. The idea is fucking phenomenal. And Bowsman said they were really out of money and out of time and had the studio all over them. And that from here on, there's so much reworked shit, including 30 minutes cut from the film. Ooh. Yeah. About that one scene, it's weird. Like each scene with her dancing and her face like folding off is fine, but it just randomly jump cuts. And it's like, just put one of them in there. Like, I don't even know why they didn't. Just use one. Like, well, and she's sweating and it falls down, she flips it up, call it. You're done. Well, and also even the song is jank compared to all the other songs in the movie. And it, it feels like a celebrity cameo. Okay. When when the rest of the movie, she's a fucking character. Like, she could have come up there and, and sang a few lines, not the, everything about it's bad. I, it's the only I, thing in the movie I shit on. I, the movie starts to lose me at this point. I don't know what it is about it. And then the Grave Robber sings again later, and then it comes back to being cool again. Well, no, no, no. Blind Mag is going to hit oh, the stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like it when she sings, but even her scene's weird. But I'm going to, we're just going to let you explain <laughs> some Cro-Magia shit. <laughs> exactly. So she's going to sing Cro-Magia. It's Italian, if I remember correctly, except for the very. It's opera. So probably. <laughs> except for the very end. Come take these rather be blind and she rips out her fucking eyes yep she's like repossess this motherfucker she's floating in the air like fucking on a harness and shit and she's like she's got black wings because she's she's a craven yeah (laughs) magia there you go and uh she's like the the set she's she's above a graveyard it's fucking snowing and shit it's fucking badass it's a graveyard with a spiky metal fence yeah yeah because roddy then (laughs) Roddy then cuts her ass down and she's impaled on said fence. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, don't panic. Stay in your seats. It's all part of the show. Stay tuned, folks. You don't want to move, folks, because there's more excitement coming. As an encore, Jinka will cure a very sick and needy young girl. So there are nine more songs in the last 20 minutes of the movie. I can't name them all, so it's mostly going to be action from here on out. And that's what I put in my notes. And then I proceed to name half the songs. <laughs> so do we have a third act anywhere yet? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So <clears throat> meanwhile, um, <laughs> yes. Shiloh stages what looks to me to be Marnie's body because it's the black veil and the hat. Okay. And this is part of what was cut because there was a whole thing with grave robber and then grave robber tells her what really happened to her mother and that and her eyes went to blind mag and there was supposed to be a reveal. Da, da, da. So I'm pretty sure that's what they kept of this was her staged in this chair. OK. And and since I didn't catch the actual corpse of Marnie in the house, <laughs> I didn't catch any of this shit. 
<laughs> so this is the trap to catch the repo man and it's pops. Yep. And, and Bowsman even says this in the commentary. He's like, you know, he's supposed to be this badass assassin. Like we've seen him kill murder, maim. And he's got songs written about him and shit. And some 17 year old girl with a shovel just and takes his ass out. <laughs> but doesn't he know he's dropping in the room to save his daughter? That's what he's thinking. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just probably completely had his guard. My daughter's not going to hit me, but he didn't think that Dude, she the, didn't know. Well, at this point, he doesn't know she's there yet. Oh, I thought he went in there to go save her. Well, he's going there to kill Roddy. I'm going to be honest. I've never watched this movie while not playing a video game at the same time. Oh, you're fucked. And I think that <laughs> maybe I'm going to fix that this week. Because <laughs> you're like, just like, oh, wow, I miss some shit. And I, 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 don't, I do miss shit, but I don't miss this much shit. Dude, watch it with subtitles on so you can catch all the lyrics. That's when my mind went. Pfft. Might fuck me up even worse. <laughs> so then they both see a projection of Mag's death. Because this is what's going on over in the theater. They're not in the theater. They're in like a fucking back room. Right. Shiloh says, fuck it. I'm going to go to Roddy. Like he says, he's offered me the company. My dad's fucking lied to me. My whole world. Is sh- this motherfucker slapped me an hour ago. My whole world is fucking right, shattered. Right. I'm an angsty teenage girl. Fuck it. And, uh, because <laughs> his mask off. Right. And she knew it was her dad. At this yes. point. Okay. Well, when he turns around, they look at each other and he, he takes it off. He's yeah. like, fuck. So they both head to the stage behind the curtain because it's intermission. Nathan is immediately slashed by Luigi because as we've seen through the film, that's Luigi's move. He just kills people fucking at random. Like he's he's a hothead. And uh, the curtain opens and Roddy reveals to the crowd that he's dying. And Shiloh is then told that Nathan killed Marnie right there on stage in front of everyone. But that's not the worst of it. you to the man who made you sick he's poisoned all your medicine and he's talking about what nathan actually did nathan owns up to it and roddy tells her to fight through the attack because she's having another blood pressure warning blood and she's like oh no what's gonna happen to me and then roddy's like you're fine. Fucking, you don't need an inhaler or Alka-Seltzer. She makes it through, and Roddy hands her a gun and tells her to shoot her fucking dad, and Jinko will be hers. This is a lot this girl is going through this evening. I just want to point mm-hmm. that out. No matter how much sweeter than 16 she is. <laughs> but Shiloh kind of turns her gears for a second, and is like, wait a minute, you used Marnie. You know, you used my mom to use him. You use it, and she's like, you're the evil one, Roddy. Right. And she's about to shoot him, and then the fucking lights go out. Roddy snatches the gun and shoots Nathan, who's now, like, sitting in this chair. I think it's the same chair that she may have had Marnie in for the trap. Not sure on that. Now, of course, the the terrible spawn offspring, the trio of Roddy's sperm, are on the stage for all of this. <laughs> and Roddy tells all his kids that they're fucking disgusting, worthless, and then he drops dead. We go into, I didn't know I'd love you so much, and this just fucking gets to me. Shiloh and Nathan sing as he bleeds out on the stage. Shiloh, go. Dad, I will not leave you here. You will live. But you've already saved me, dear. Now go and change the world for me. And we, we will always have each other in our, our time of need. Daddy, you're the world to me. To me. Now, in the stage show, Nathan doesn't die. 
they did it for the movie, and I'm I'm glad they did because then Shiloh breaks into genetic emancipation. <laughs> She's on her own now. Everything's gone. Her whole life was a lie, but now she knows what it is, and she can go outside. She can be whatever she wants to be now. And this is when Bowsman makes the joke, like, look at her in that outfit. And, you know, as soon as we put you in those fuck me boots, and she's the one who says it in the commentary. I'm just <laughs> saying that. He's not being a dirty old man. But as as soon as we're there, like, you're a woman. You're your own person now. You know, do whatever you're going to do. And she does. She struts right down the fucking aisle and out into the world. And that was going to be the end. And then Bowsman was fucking smart enough to shoot more with Grave Robber (laughs) because he takes us into the epilogue with the song Epitaph. We then see that Amber auctions off her fallen off face to charity. (laughs) Luigi murders the top three bidders. (laughs) Yep. But Pavi ends up winning the auction and now wears Amber's face. Oh, it's such a happy ending. And so Jinko's story continues. And this is told to us in comic panels again because... This was right. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? The battle's done and we kind of won. So we sound our victory cheer. How did this all happen? What's the truth of the backstory? Do we rewrite the backstory? Right. Because we can twist some shit. And Amber takes over the company though, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, they're going to, they make it look like it's going to be together, but. Out of the three of them, Amber's the most level-headed. She's just <laughs> addicted to the knife. I just thought it said somewhere in there that Amber took over. But at any rate, that's the film. Yeah. It's a fucking whirlwind. It's definitely a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The first time I watched it with Ginger, when she, it's like it all happens so fast that it's it's confusing and there's some rough editing. But yeah. Knowing why that happened now, I can give it a pass on some things. It's so fucking weird. But yeah. But if you're but charming at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're a fan of like cyberpunk, dystopian, musical, <laughs> like Sign me up. there, yeah, there's 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 all kinds of stuff in there that that can get you to it. Getting ready to dig into it for the podcast. Second watch, I'm like, I like this more than I did the first time. Then well, I like this more than I remember liking it. And then doing my serious notes and having subtitles on, <laughs> I'm like Holy fuck, I like really like this. <laughs> I definitely need to give it a non-distracted viewing. And it's my fault. And it's because when I lived with Mike and he just thought it was so right up my alley, he just decided to show me different clips randomly. Mm. And that is terrible for this movie because it just looks like shitty made in the backyard stage production kind of thing, right? Yeah, like what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> and I think that kind of jaded me, but I remember liking ideas of it. And when I had to watch it for the podcast, I had a lot of shit going on the past few weeks. I was like playing a game or doing maybe working on a project for it. I don't remember. I put it on the first time. And when I watched it the second time or third, one of the, one of the times I watched it, because I watched it once and then twice, like close together. Okay. I was like, I'm going to give it a good go. And I didn't. And I, I, I don't know. I, one, I wish I would have seen this movie sooner all the way through. Yeah. Two, I wish... I would have watched it for the podcast without doing something else because I really don't usually do that, except for maybe like viewing five or something, right? Yeah. Lastly, I wish I wouldn't have watched it right after watching End of the Apocalypse the first time because it is, I'm going to, to me, it's not as good of an actual movie movie. <laughs> like, I don't know. They're just different. Like, I really do like all of the ideas of Repo. Like, I like the Blade Runner ness of it. I like the, uh, 
we don't have any money version of the special effects. <laughs> I like the social commentary of the social commentary of the pharmaceutical industry taking over the world. I like the grave robber being the narrator, and he's like just a lot of fun to me. Yeah, I like the idea of the Repo Man. Like, I just think all of it's cool. I'm actually kind of glad the gratuitous nudity got toned down because I think that would have killed the movie for me. It was unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I've watched a lot of fucked up. <laughs> 80s movies in my day where it's just like just everybody's naked right and it's it's just not about I don't know like it would have made the, the movie already feels dirty in a way if that yeah. makes sense uh, almost like you're watching um, I can't think of it, snuff films or something that's right? what I was going to say but I was afraid that would be too much but yeah it's dirty it's gritty it's, you taste it you smell it it, like, it would have crossed the line to me if like all the extra nudity would have been in there because actually even the one like boobs scene I'm like it's just kind of weird right yeah. like I just I, I don't know because it's uh it's a musical it's supposed to be like it doesn't have to be fun, you know, per se, but you know what I mean? Like it's supposed to go a certain way. And, um, there's a lot of good shit in here and it's one of those things. This could have been even more amazing with a budget. It also could have been a lot worse. Yeah. So I wish there was a prequel and a sequel after it was a cult, you know, hit and, and could probably get some financing. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck happened at that point, but yeah, this, this, so the budget on this was 8.5 and I don't believe it ever had a theatrical release other than like minor, not like a nationwide theatrical release. I saw that it had a limited release and it made like $50,000 domestically yeah. and then like 180 worldwide or some shit. Yeah, it made shit. But same for Trick or Treat. Same for a lot of movies we've talked about. But this is one that I, I, I really think, I really think people like just like Trick or Treat. I think a lot of people don't know about it. Or, yeah. th or they've just seen a couple of clips and they're like, I don't know what the fuck that was. But like, watch it for the story. And if you're into musicals, well, there yeah. you go. And it's definitely rough around the edges, but you can actually tell that the people that were making it gave a fuck. Yeah. And we yeah. we yeah. come back to that so much on movies that the punk rock indie gorilla yep. renegade, you know, version of filmmaking. We don't have any money. One thing I'll, I will definitely say is a strong point of this film. It does one of the best jobs of telling the story through song. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, yeah. that's the opera part. Like it is straight up a, it's like fucking, and I like the comic strips, the panels. I think it really adds to it. I know they only did it cause they didn't have enough money to shoot the scenes, but yeah. like do it in the prequel and the sequel. There's not going to be one. There would have no. been by now, but you know, even if there was with a fucking $50 million budget, still do the comic panels. It yeah. kind of adds to it. I love it. Cause you know, it opens with that. It closes with that. And every time we go into a character's backstory, we fall back into the comic. Uh, it's yeah, it's perfect. And I try to make it a point in my notes. I don't know if anybody caught this when we go into the stories, it was, uh, he could only save one. He could only punish one. Right. There's now only one. Like there's even like, there's layers in this that after a few watches you start to pick up on. I just want to know how the fuck they talked Paul Servino into doing it. He is said, he said as long as he could have a part where he actually does an operatic song, that was it. I, I mean, like I said, I keep going back to this was at clubs in LA where lots of celebrities probably saw it. Yeah. And you know I mean? It, it was popular. It's like, sure, I'll do it. Fuck it. But yeah, as per usual, two movies that if you watch them back to back, it may break your brain. Um, <laughs> and I did it one night and it did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I can't resist. And guys, y'all didn't get Poultrygeist. <laughs> yeah, we almost got that. <laughs> but yeah, musicals are weird. I would never watch a musical just to watch a musical. It's got to be horror or fucked up because that's me. I can appreciate a lot of it as a musician, even though some of it I'm just not fucking into. Like if this was straight all opera. And like in foreign and like I had to read it. Did you say in foreign? Yes. That's <laughs> I'm being the dirty American again. And I had to read it 
Like I could appreciate the art, but I wouldn't, ne- right. I, I could not get sucked into it. And I don't really, I've never really super been into metal, which is weird because like punk and usually kind of crossover. <laughs> I even like the metal songs in it, even the electronic ones that are like definitely not shit I'm into. Yeah. Uh, like, a, like they did a good job of that. A um, lot of it is very industrial. Yeah. Industrial. That's what I was looking for. That was part of what ruined it was uh, like Mike only showed me clips and it like, like we said earlier, it ruins the movie. And then he was trying to play parts of songs that he thought were cool out of context and it just you know i'm like that's more of that new metal shit that keeps coming out right that i fucking hate it you know what i mean just think about when it came out on well, that that's dvd that's because the bassist from corn was on that track possibly <laughs> they didn't have trent reznor and atticus finch on i can tell you that right now i don't know man there's like a whole there i i got sick of reading have you heard that man's compositions and scores he's good what did we watch recently that trent reznor did the score on i mean he's got fuck fucking awards for it i think yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no no there's something we watched recently that was great and it he doesn't do his music that's the nice part about no, it no he never it's, has yeah it's it's I all mean, he, he won a, i think he either won or got nominated for an oscar for the facebook movie social network and shit yeah, <laughs> yeah. he did the whole thing yeah, yeah. he does yeah he's, he's good he's it's awesome. him and atticus finch his friend okay wow what a random well it was music yeah, yeah yeah but anyways guys that's horror musicals too right you <laughs> <laughs> You finally got Anna. I hope I did it justice. It's a great film. Then you got Repo, which is a a much darker film, but fun with its own charm. And musicals are great and keep watching them. Giving thumbs up to the shorts and stuff because otherwise people are going to stop making these fucking things. They're already like a niche of a niche of a niche, right? So... But that's it for Horror Musicals 2, so you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we cover the Happy Death Day franchise. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online and send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. So raise the curtain, here's the light, strike up the band for the final night. And if it is my time to go, I'll give them one hell of a show.